0: folks. Welcome to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We are broadcasting tonight from somewhere deep in the hills of upstate New York. Wherever, whenever, and however you're listening, we thank you for being part of our universe. We are two brothers, bivocational ministers, seekers of truth, and drinkers of yellow beer. And uh, this is episode number 47 that we're broadcasting tonight. So we're excited to be Three episodes away from the big five zero—that's pretty exciting, I suppose, right? Nope, (laughs) Jason is not impressed. uh, (laughs) They say age is just a number. You're like, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. That's three episodes away. You know,
1: thirty four was pretty special too. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Who knows?
0: You're not thirty four though, are you? Um, I'm the even. Podcasts. No, 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 no. I mean, your age. Oh. <laughs> well, we're talking about each other's age? Oh, no. <laughs> I, well, I thought you were talking about age being not a number. And uh-huh. then you referenced a number that's close to your yeah, age. Yeah, I was like, I mean, podcasts oh. are not a number. Yeah, that's true. Either. It's just one long, wonderful conversation. <laughs> that's but really... if we want 50 to be special, then... Yeah. I, I don't think we're going to do anything special. <laughs> it's just, we're just going to say that it's special. Well, it is my episode, though. So that is, that's true. We could
1: do something. I could you bake could, a cake. Yeah, on live podcast, it
0: can become a cooking show. <laughs> for episode fifty, we're now going to do a cooking show. You Just do the play by play of oh, <laughs> he cracked another egg. <laughs> I
1: think there's a shell oh, in the batter. Oh,
0: oh, he's reaching for a spoon. Oh, he he oh oh he dug it
1: into the. Uh, floor. <laughs> Jason didn't that say teaspoon, not tablespoon. <laughs>
0: Get it together, a, man. That wasn't flour. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so there we go. Episode fifty is planned already. Uh, see, planning live on the show. Uh, we haven't planned episode forty-eight yet, but fifty's all set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forty-eight. Mm. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, <laughs> that's you, me again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a whole week though to prepare. This I time. know. Yeah, we're um, yeah. You're gallivanting off. Yeah, to someplace. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, sit by the seashore. Going to the ocean. Oh, yeah, so it'll be nice little hangout in. Uh, yeah, seashells. In I'm going to try to find by some. The seashore. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to also eat something out of a seashell as well. So, was
1: well, that a vocal exercise? <laughs> I
0: don't Not know. Not eating something out of a seashell.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. Saying seashells. Sipping by smoothies
0: them. by the seashore. On a Sunday, right, uh, sunny uh, yeah, Sunday, diction.
1: Maybe we should do that before the podcast. <laughs> it doesn't
0: help you say better things. It just helps, it helps you say better. things better. <laughs> yeah, just
1: say all the crappy stuff we say. Yeah, only with more diction.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it's like look good doing it. You know, That sound good doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They. They sound like idiots, but not because of their tone of voice and diction. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people tune in for, maybe. Yeah, exactly. We learn how to dictate. <laughs> uh, all right. So, yeah, episode 47. We are, um, well, this is the second episode that we recorded early. That's pretty exciting. So and this is the episode for Wednesday, November the 15th. And so I had to uh, jump around a little bit uh, on the internet to find some information about Wednesday, November 15th. Oh, sure. So that I could indeed uh, give my moon phase update. So on November the 15th of 2023, it is a waxing crescent, and the moon sign is Sagittarius. uh, So because the moon sign is in Sagittarius... We will read the horoscope for Sagittarius for November the 15th, 2023. See what I did there? I do. All right. But first, before the big reveal of the horoscope for Sagittarius, which is exciting um, because I indeed am a Sagittarius, as is dad. He's a Sagittarius as well. Uh, Sagittarius. Does that make you
1: Sagittarius? Yes. Together. Yes
0: yes i is think sagittarius so. is like i think hippopotamuses. is yeah or maybe it's just uh, still just sagittarius and that S like does fish. double duty school i think it's fishes
1: what a school of fish right it'd be a school, school of sagittarius, of sagittarius. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I Celestially swimming. That sounds right to me. That sounds perfectly right to me. So it's um, if you were born between November 22nd and December 21st, you are part of the Sagittarian crowd. And this is what uh, Allure.com has to say about Sagittarians, in just case you, you didn't know much about them. Um, the final fire sign of the Zodiac, Sagittarius traits are unlike any other sign of the Zodiac. They're totally unique to this brazen spirit. As a professional astrologer with almost 10 years of experience, I can honestly say that there is no zodiac sign like Sagittarius. What makes Sagittarius so unique is its dynamic blend of passion, curiosity, intensity, and adaptability. Represented by the archer, a half-man, half-horse centaur, Sagittarius isn't afraid to use its bow and arrow to explore expansive terrain, seeking answers in places and spaces others wouldn't dare venture. Whether they're whitewater rafting down a river in some undisclosed location or taking a pilgrimage to a sacred site to uncover secrets about an ancient civilization, Sagittarius' qui- quest for knowledge knows no bounds. Hmm. There you go. Uh, there's a whole lot more that can be read about um you know sagittarius so kind of like uh what are sagittarius's weaknesses who should sagittarius avoid it doesn't name any individuals but uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be great though yeah. ronald <laughs> across the street yeah, okay, yeah ron that <laughs> <Yeah>, guy <laughs>
1: avoid him at all costs yeah. Uh, Or maybe bring your bow and arrow, since that's... (laughs) You guys go prepared.
0: Yeah. Sagittarius is... Well, yeah, you can go anywhere with all that stuff, you know? Um, You can find out who's the best match for Sagittarius, if you read on... Of course, it's Allure magazine, so they're going to tell you that, you know? Probably, like, how you're supposed to find your soulmate, you know? Well, and obviously, you're an autumn. Autumnal, yes. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what the, those magazines like have like the test for men to take like are you a spring oh oh, or oh sorry or I'm, autumn? <laughs> <laughs> but Sagittarius would obviously be autumn yes that is true because it ends like on the first day of winter right uh or close to yeah a, December 21st yes
0: so that's when it ends December 21st so yeah um yeah uh <laughs> Yeah, so lots of interesting information. Anyway, so that's all about Sagittarius because you wanted to know it. Uh <laughs> and now <laughs> to read to you the horoscope for Sagittarius. I keep I've got like seven windows open to do this and I'm not a professional at this. Uh, all right, here we go. This is the actual horoscope for Sagittarius for November 15th of 2023. It may feel like your relationships are pulling you in multiple directions, and it's pretty uncomfortable. This week, it's time for you to hold the line. In other words, identify your boundaries and communicate them clearly to others. Remember, it's no one's job to manage your boundaries but you, Sagittarius. Be a good caretaker of your own best interests. There you go.
1: Hmm?
0: Yeah, no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. Sagittarius. Exactly. No one else is going to bake your cake and pick out the eggshells you got in there, but you. That's, uh, yeah, that's (laughs) your mess. You got to clean that up. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I wonder why that is. It didn't say. It's not a very, um, you know, it may feel like your relationships are pulling you in multiple directions. I wonder if that's coming from something, you know, the the way that the other signs are interacting Mm -hmm. around Sagittarius at that time. Something like that. I don't know the moon being uh waxing who knows yeah could be could be that all right so there is your uh that's your moon and and um and uh zodiac sign and horoscope update for this uh, episode of Music of the Spheres podcast number 47 hmm. hope you enjoyed it <laughs> all right and that's the end of <laughs> No, we have to oh. hear me try to do this again. <laughs> almost dropped it, but getting better. I feel like that was better than last episode. Don't you think? Yeah, that first one, uh, <laughs> last episode, was pretty poor excuse. You, you me. almost skipped right to the beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. segment, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, once again, no mind of the middle schooler this week, although I will give the update that she had her auditions today for the big play that is is coming up next spring. And I did receive the report that she did well in the audition, or at least she feels confident about her Mm -hmm. performance in the audition atmosphere. So she's getting more comfortable with that kind of thing. So that was good. And she was auditioning for something specific. She was auditioning for, yes, the role of Jasmine in the play oh. Aladdin. Yes. So, so yeah, she auditioned for that particular role. And yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a middle school play and she's in the middle of the middle school, in the <laughs> middle of the three years, you know. So I think they. Typically, we'll try to give the older students... Yeah, try to get the... The roles if they can, mm-hmm. you know, but if there's nobody to take them, then... Yeah. So, we'll see. I don't know. It could be. But she's excited. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it. And I'm sure she'll be enthusiastic about whatever part she gets. They rewrite these shows a little bit when they do them for school plays. I mean, you probably know this from your time of, you know, being yeah. a thespian of, of sorts.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. <clears throat> I mean, uh, I didn't do... Like school plays in middle school but i did like summer theater and she had to she had to find like the director had to find something for like 200 kids to do right or something yeah. maybe not 200 but mm-hmm. seemed like it <laughs> yeah um so they were like they added stuff yeah we did wizard of oz they added uh like when the monkeys come in right uh we sang hey hey we're the monkey <laughs> <laughs> so nice. a little uh a little loose with the <laughs> with the plot I guess. right
0: well they have to i mean cuz you've got to incorporate all these you know you can't just have everybody standing in the back just singing the right. whole time you know like so everybody yeah. has to feel involved and especially like in this particular play there's really one female lead Because you got Aladdin, and then you got the genie could be played by a a, you know I guess any of them could be played by a male or female, but Mm -hmm. you know you really only have one female lead that gets to sing all the you know the songs of Jasmine. So they they actually I I saw last year when they presented the the play they added roles. There's like Aladdin has like a a crew of buddies and Jasmine has like a court of ladies. So Mm -hmm. there's like, you know, there's extra parts that they write in to the show so that they can spread it out a little bit. So that's nice. Yeah. So I'm sure whatever she, you know, however she ends up, it'll, it'll be something that she'll enjoy and it'll be a good experience for her. So that's really cool. So we'll continue to update that. Hopefully we'll get her back on the show here. She's, um, not on the premises tonight. Um, so that's our mind of the middle schooler. We don't really have one. <laughs> Mindless. <us. laughs> uh so then I always like to ask you how you're doing. Um you know we didn't really we were both uh then our last episode coming from other busy things. Uh, how's yeah. everything going for you? Good. Uh
1: I the cat sneezed into my mouth so that was fun oh, oh dude that is gross <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you weren't expecting me to say that were you no when you said the cat sneeze i'm like wow he's got nothing going on he's um, gonna talk about his cat sneezing now. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> uh it was surreal
1: just like oh. the experience of like yeah. Like, so if I have, like, cat fever now, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm going to start doing weird stuff. Like,
0: can I ask you a question? Why was your mouth open so close to the cat's oh, he was face? Just, he was just,
1: like, laying on me. Yeah. I was, like, petting him.
0: Oh, okay. And he was just
1: chilling. Yeah. And then he, like, lifted up his head, and he just kind of, like, shook it a little. I was like, okay. That's, <laughs> and then... <laughs> You know, a second later,
0: it's a sneeze.
1: <laughs> and like, I just happen to be like
0: there. Inhaling. breathing, Inhaling at the moment. <laughs> yes. Through an open mouth. Yeah. 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 So
1: then like mouthwash
0: and like. Oh, like, yeah. You know, yeah. You're
1: like emergency situation. <laughs> yeah. You just, Whatever he's got, I don't want. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, you're like swizzling with vodka yeah. over there. I mean, he's been losing brain cells
0: since day one. So <laughs>
1: I don't know what he's got.
0: I don't want it though that's great so you've not ever taught him about covering his mouth he'll he didn't me. give you the Dracula move where you know where he put the the hand around I think the he elbow. purposely
1: did it yeah he never really snuggles with me and he's like I'm gonna get this guy
0: yeah he's like first I'm gonna <laughs> pretend like I like him yeah. so I'm yeah. gonna go snuggle on his chest I yep. not that be nice and then he'll get all complacent mm-hmm. and then I'll sneeze right <laughs> down his gullet <laughs> Uh, that's great so that was exciting i guess yeah well thank you for sharing (laughs) we're all we're all better for having heard that
1: (laughs) yeah if anyone has had a similar experience yeah please share
0: yeah well it's kind of like when you're you know when your dog tries to lick your face you know dogs Mm. because dogs like to do that you know they call it giving you a kiss you know Right, yeah. And some, some dog owners are like, yeah, get in there. You know, they like they hold out their cheek, and the yeah. dog all slurps on it. And right. then, like, 30 seconds later, you look at the dog, and it's curled up, licking its butt. Yep. And you're like, ah, I don't want that on my face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, I'm pretty sure the cow is taking a bath, not
0: too... <laughs> taking a bath, Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not too... Uh... Why do you think he was sneezing? <laughs> there was st- stuff. Uh. There got stirred up. Maybe he's allergic to cats. I think he is allergic <laughs> to himself. Yeah. I, I know I am. Oh, uh, I hang out with a cat. Yeah,
1: it's funny. I am too, but uh, oh, he's you, ne- he's never. Yeah, he's like a hypoallergenic
0: cat. Yes, he makes up for it in other ways. Yeah. <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah. So that's the most memorable thing that happened, like in the brief period of time in between these.
0: Oh well, that's right, yes. It's only been a couple of days since we yeah. recorded our last episode. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh I've just been on the road mostly for the for the brewery. Going places you've never been. Yes, yes. Oh. Um seeing faces I may never see again. And I just can't wait, actually. <laughs> but anyway, um we've got an anniversary party coming up for the brewery. It's our 10th anniversary. And I thought you already had that. We did. Yeah, we had that. Then wasn't satisfying enough. We had the big one. Right. Yeah. And then, um, but this one is for the industry partners. So, you know, it's like, a, it's on a Monday night. Mm. It's, it's for, you know, all the accounts that have bought our beer, you know, just to get everybody together, a little thank you. Hey, come out and hang out and celebrate 10 years with us, you know. Which is nice, mm-hmm. and all the accounts that have been in invited to it are, are, are you know, very appreciative of being able to come. Uh, and I sent out like a list of invites to all of the sales staff that works with our distributor so they could make sure, because they have contact info for everybody. I wanted them to you know, pass it out, their contact info, through the contact info, which I don't have. I have some of these accounts' contact info, but not everybody. So I wanted them to get all the invites out, but I I knew that though they have the contact info, they may not follow up or follow completely through with mm-hmm. it. So I wanted to make sure that I get to as many invites handed out in person as I could. It also gives me a good excuse to, you know, talk at an accountant and talk to the buyer and you know try to sell more beer. So so that's what I've been doing: is driving all around trying to get to, you know, sixty something plus accounts and hand out invitations. So been a lot of trying to catch up with that. And then today I was uh, I was in Saratoga Springs, New York all day doing sales calls up there, on a work with. So I've just been all over the place driving around in my little black van with the Wolf Hollow logo on the side. So that's not incognito. No. No. Definitely they know I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> which is why so many people are at the bank when I get there. Yeah, I was going to say, which is why
1: <laughs> no one's ever there.
0: I get to the account and they're like, oh no, they just ran to the bank. That's yeah. the one I get out the most of. Oh yeah, yeah, I stepped out, ran to the bank. Sorry. <laughs> just trying to sell you beer. It's not, yeah. Anyway, so that's what I've been up to. Nothing super exciting. Yeah. But I am looking forward to getting away for a couple of days. That'll be nice. Just heading out, to the, uh, heading out to the ocean for a little bit. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've got a. i have got I think I'm going to bring the recording gear with me, and uh, I'm, I, you know, not making any promises, but I think I'm. I might try to create some new bumper music for the show. Oh, cool! While I'm out there, because I got a little cottage, you know, it's mm-hmm. not very big. So, and it's going to be dark <laughs> most of the time because that's the time of year that it is now. Yeah. So, yeah. I think I'll just sit in the cottage and, uh, you know make make music see if i can come up with some new bumpers we'll see if you have any good ideas you know let me know you want me to like send you voicemails of melodies yeah something? yeah 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 i want to <laughs> open my phone and listen to you singing
2: <laughs>
0: that sounds like uh frozen two <laughs> <laughs> never seen it <laughs> uh all right well uh do we have any listener communications jason Anything in that realm? Well, <laughs> well, well, well one <laughs> well, one thing is like the
1: episode that we've recorded before this is not out yet. So. Yeah. No one has really had a chance to email or comment on the Facebook post yet cuz that's true. They're not posted.
0: So. Oh, that's right. You didn't even put that out. You were, you were taking a picture tonight of the Right, and I usually don't put it out until the the you don't want to be a tease is that podcast what you're saying drops like well i'd like
1: to I like to put the Apple and Spotify links on the oh right, the Facebook post, yeah,
0: there you go so I don't like to put those on there when there's no episode that's true. To These you. are things that I don't understand about social media you're enlightening yeah. well, my, I don't know right if now. I understand them either I don't know if people click on those <laughs> links or what but
1: Probably people just like go into their apps and they don't bother with the Facebook links, but mm-hmm. they're there if somebody. It just
0: happens. To well, can't pass people by. like share or repost those yeah. or something like that, yeah. and then the link is in there if they haven't heard of the show. Right, that's a good way to. That's a good thing mm-hmm. to do. You're doing a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the website's there. The email is yeah there yeah as well. We got to do a new website too. I keep t- talking about that, but. Yeah. We haven't done it. We made that promise at the beginning of this calendar year that we would be coming out with a new uh website we never did. So that's the last time I'm gonna make a promise on the podcast. Well, this year isn't over. Yet. Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but we need we need a new website <clears throat> for sure. Because I'd like to be able to have a place where we can put like, you know, all keep all of our links, you know, to keep a running list of the yellow beers, you know, all the all the links to different mm-hmm. all the different topics and or books and stuff that we've done, you know, things like that. I think that'd be fun. And maybe uh maybe a place where people can buy t-shirts cuz everybody wants a music of the spheres podcast t-shirt. Yeah. Or like a sweatband for your wrist. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Something like that. Something to remind you of all the hard work it is to <laughs> make it through one of these yes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, this makes me sweat. <laughs> the podcast that makes you sweat. Yeah, it's different than the meat sweats, but... Yeah. Similar feelings. Yeah. <laughs> of, of fullness. Yeah. and pleasure. <laughs> sweat bands. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's better than sweatpants. Oh no, that maybe. Yeah, that would, I would not agree. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing what? sweatpants right now. Oh yeah, uh, wouldn't that be great with a big old M O T S right down the side, like the oh, college, yeah, like, the, like college the college ones, ones yeah. that have the university yeah. name no down, elastic down the side
1: at the bottom, just like
0: yeah, just like they're just dragging on the floor. Yeah, yeah. 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 And people walk on them, and yeah. they're all like worn, they're and, all like yeah. ratty. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's what we want. Yeah, and terrible color too. Oh yeah, is you know, these these sort purple. of like weird mar- maroon, something you yeah. know, and and then some like secondary color that doesn't go with it at all. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, all right, we're on it. Now we need to have a website because everybody's like, where can I get these pants? Yeah,
1: <laughs> you'll find them at Bloomingdale's.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's like a fancy clothing shop. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was
0: ironic. No, oh, you're wasn't doing a pun. You're doing irony. that again. <laughs> it wasn't a pun. No. Can you make it into a salad with mayonnaise? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe at Bloomingdales they sell food too. I don't know. Well, like shopping. IKEA, you can get the Swedish meatballs. Right. Yeah. You can buy a bed and something to eat in it. I mean,
1: Barnes and Noble always had food for when you're like Yeah. Reading, they got like a little there. coffee shop
0: in there so you can get like a like yeah. a scone or a biscotti Ooh, or something, yeah. yep. you know, and then a little coffee and then read the book that you didn't buy. <laughs> yeah. Spill the coffee on it, put it back on the shelf and leave. <laughs> Not that I've ever done that. Yeah. I wasn't,
1: I just wanted to make it through the first chapter to see if I wanted it. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a preview. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Amazon lets you look inside books. Yeah, exactly. So... Sometimes more than others. Sometimes you get like two pages. You get like the front right. and the back. <laughs> yeah. and you're like, what? Sometimes you get like it's the not, first like 70 pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a- this is not inside at all. And then other books is like, I don't need to buy this now because okay. I just read it. Like, <laughs> I'm all good. <laughs> uh, all right. So are you ready for beer, Jason? Yeah. I think, I think we're there. Unless uh, Yeah, because we don't have any listener communications. So we're like right episode right on top of the other here. We haven't recorded two in one day yet, have we? And I'm pretty sure we didn't do this beer yet. On yeah. Am I right? We have not. You don't remember this. We. This is why we need a website, because we got to have a list, so I can consult the website when I'm beer shopping. But.
1: Yeah, the, the most accurate list is... The Instagram pictures of the beers. Oh yeah, but there were a couple weeks like what I just did earlier when yeah. I forgot to take a picture.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah, I don't think we did this yet. I don't think so because it's one of my favorite beers. I think I would remember. So uh, I had a
1: college <clears throat> roommate with a light. <laughs> yeah, he had a light yeah. of this beer, like a neo, like one of those neon.
0: Yeah, lights. Yeah, yeah. So what we have here is the uh, the famous Pabst Blue Ribbon. Uh, established in Milwaukee, 1844, and it's got the famous uh, blue ribbon on the front. With uh, it's funny that it's got like that red stripe that goes diagonally across. Which it's a good thing it's behind the ribbon because if it were in front of right. it, it would look like the big like yeah cross it out circle. You know,
1: it's more it's kind of like a sash.
0: Yeah, like you'd see in a uh, um like Miss America. Oh yeah, yeah. Or like uh, you know what a foreign dignitary would wear. Right. You know, so, yeah, when they're carrying something on a pillow, <laughs> you <know>? it's <laughs> like <coughs> whoever thought of that, like something, here's something very special. Let's put it on a pillow, which is not flat at all uh-huh. and hope it doesn't fall off. Right. You know, like a scepter or a ring or something like that. It's
1: usually one of those round pillows
0: too. Yeah. Which makes
1: sense for your head because your heads are round. <laughs> That's a question I asked when I was a child. <laughs>
0: Why, why are pillows square when heads are round? yeah <laughs> It's a great philosophical debate, yeah, yeah, yep, that, it's just like my eternal question of brownies are they a cake or a cookie? I still don't know. I think they deserve a class all to themselves. yeah, that's what people mostly say because they say it's neither. I'm like, well that that's a, no fun because then it stops the conversation. Well, what is a scone since we mentioned those? I think a scone is just a scone. I think it's its own entity. (laughs) But a brownie can't be. No. A brownie (laughs) is like a cake that you cut in the cookie shape. (laughs) But a scone, I don't know. It's like totally its own thing. It's not a muffin. (laughs) It's not a cake. No. It's not a, a bread. No. It's just. It's like.
1: It's, yeah. It's like a soft biscotti. Yeah. Biscotti biscotti. Before it's, is. is that a cookie? I don't know. It's not a cake. <laughs> so I don't think. I think brownies can just be their own
0: thing. Yeah. It's a good thing this show doesn't have live ratings responses. Mm. <laughs> so we can see. Like, yeah, we'd have to turn off the yeah. comments, I think. <laughs> We should do a live show sometime. I don't know who would tune in for that, but it'd be fun. Just no, like no. stream it live. I don't know how to do that yeah. yet, but we could maybe figure
1: do it. Do it on like a snowy day when people are like going <laughs> stir crazy, just stuck inside. <laughs> Here we come to
0: save the day. And we do it on YouTube. We set up a camera with like the window behind us, so people can watch the snowfall. Oh yeah, And it would be so peaceful, beautiful. We can. I wear my Santa hat. Oh yeah, or my Santa pants. <laughs> By then, you'll be wearing your Music of the Sphere's sweatpants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Bright pink with some purple highlights.
0: Yeah. That's yeah, going to look like our I mean, logo. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what
1: the logo I always put that that color uh, scheme on the Instagram post. Oh, so. okay. Nice. Yeah. Look at you. And the, I think the closest we got to this beer was
0: maybe, maybe like Labatt Blue. Oh, yeah. Okay yeah so this is uh this is also has blue in the name, so pap's blue ribbon and uh yeah I'm excited to have this beer on the show it's one it is one of my favorite like if if i'm gonna have a light yellow American adjunct lager, then this is kind of what I like to go for, and I don't even know if it's an adjunct, I don't even know if they put anything other in in it um only the finest of hops and grains are used selected as america's best in 1893 they've been milking that one really like for a long time and would anybody put on their can like we use average run of the mill hops yes yes <laughs> and grains made with the best made with the best grains and hops that we could afford <laughs> that we could find <laughs> On the side of the road. That we could find after the other brewers got their pick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Pass Blue Ribbon, uh, very mm. extremely clear. It's it's not as light as some of the other ones. It is, you know, got a a nice solid yellowish hue to it. And it's holding on to the foam. It's a, a small layer of foam. It's not very thick, but it's holding on to it pretty nicely. Yeah. Um some bubbles effervescing from the bottom of the glass, not a lot, um, but, but yeah, I what was know. the competition back in eighteen ninety three I mean they talk
1: about that with like sports teams too, or like, right, you know, who was Babe Ruth
0: really playing against right, right, blah blah, blah, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah they, they were he was playing against guys that also had other jobs, <laughs> right. you know like yeah. Or, yeah. High school science teachers, sure, it? yeah, and this one guy worked this you know the ski lift at the at the <laughs> hill in the wintertime when it wasn't baseball season, you know, and like that's just what you did yeah back then because uh they didn't make forty seven million dollars a year or whatever it is, yeah um yeah, I don't know what the competition would have been like, I would actually think it would be pretty good <clears throat> because well yeah it was, anything pre anything pre prohibition was yeah. was still connected to the classic european you know there and and breweries were smaller because there wasn't you couldn't transport your beer as far right because of you know storage and refrigeration technologies were not what they are now you know so you couldn't couldn't send your beer as far away and so you had to you know there were a lot more breweries um yeah shop local yeah, and in fact, I mean, I think it was it was like 6 or maybe 6 or 7 years ago that we finally got back to and then exceeded the number of breweries in the United States pre-prohibition. Wow. Yeah, it was only recently the last, within time. the last decade. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz there were there were tons. It was like it like it is now. There's every town had its brewery, you know. Mm-hmm. Cuz you, you didn't send beer far away then, right. you know. Yeah. It was local.
1: Yeah. Well, that's where uh, Small Business
0: Saturday originated. <laughs> yeah. In 1893. Yeah. <laughs> that's when they awarded Pabst the blue ribbon. Yeah. They said, don't go to Walmart Saturday. for your stuff.
1: <laughs> Budweiser, Schmudweiser. Don't send out in this year's Roebuck
0: catalog for your beer. <laughs> that will ship in six to eight weeks. <laughs> Expect six to eight weeks for beer delivery. All right. So, did you taste it yet?
1: I did. Did you sniff it? I did not sniff it. Although with the cat, it's really, oh yeah, like, it's all you can I smell. can't trust my, can't
0: trust my smell. All you can Kate smell qualities. is you, your cat's larynx. That's the only oh, thing gosh. you can smell right now. Oh <laughs>
1: man. It does have, a, it has like a distinct taste, like the other, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they all kind of do, but some of them blend together. This one definitely you can, Yeah, I think in a blind taste test, I could tell this is PBR. Yeah, I think so? I think so. We'll try it. I'll
0: put this and Guinness next to each other. And you <laughs> no, have to yes. guess. <laughs> 50-50 chance. <laughs> so you're saying there's a This chance. and Guinness and Fiddlehead. You can't <laughs> guess them. <laughs> I'm getting notes
1: of hops. The choicest ingredients?
0: That's PBR. Yeah. No, no, no. Finest. Oh, no, finest. They, no choice. And is,
1: they don't I thought the things. word choice was on that. Finest of hops and grains are used. Nature's choicest products. Oh, the products are choicest. Not the, <laughs> the, pro- not the hops and nature's grains. Nature's
0: products. Yeah, nature makes a lot of stuff, though.
1: Isn't that the hops and grains, though?
0: Um, the nature's products that they're talking about? Our
1: choice. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess they're so. using a lot of adjectives, this is what we're. The marketing's a little busy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you've been, They got you know, a sash and a ribbon. Yeah. You should have seen it. You should have seen it in 1893 though when they won this <laughs> award, you know. And actually it's fitting that we that we are um checking in with something from the uh late 19th century because we're going to hear uh
1: this is foreshadowing. Yeah,
0: in our topic tonight. Uh, the the, uh, all, the whole thing that we're going to talk about kind of started in that in that same all right around the same time. It was like eighteen ninety eight or something like that. Hmm. That that the uh intrigue began.
1: Could have been uh catalyzed by PBR.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying? Yeah. That's how long it took of the news of PBR winning the blue ribbon to, to spread around the world. <clears throat> but five years later. Yeah. Everybody knows. <laughs> Whoa. I gotta find me a ship. <laughs>
1: A frigate, and get over there. (laughs) You you love any opportunity to say frigate, don't you? Uh, What a funny name for a vessel. Do you think it has a poop deck on it? Or a vessel? (laughs) I'm sure, I hope so. Uh,
0: That's funny. (laughs) And I actually heard that they actually didn't use to poop on that part of the ship. It was the front is where you'd go, uh, to the to, privy, <laughs> to use the bathroom, uh. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. which is why on sh- on boats, it's called the, it's called the head. head, because on the the giant wooden ships that were made by you know the imperial kingdoms, right? Whatever, whatever king or you know duke or whoever commanded the building of the ship they would paint they would like carve would be big carving of his face on the front of the mm. boat right and uh so it, the front of the boat became known as the head <laughs> before there was plumbing the way that they would take care of waste on the boat is that uh they would they built like a like a little room that you went in that had openings to the outside that was sealed from the rest of the ship so you go in there, do your business, and then when you hit the waves, because it's the front of the ship, it splashes in there and washes everything out. Mm. So there. That's why they call it hitting the head. Huh. Well, because you also wanted to know that. <laughs>
1: did like I, say, I didn't know. I didn't know this was part of the PBR discussion. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're like, huh. Hey, you said about your cat uh, sneezing in your mouth before, so this is not that ridiculous. You set the tone for this episode, Jason. Congratulations. Yeah. Unfortunately,
1: uh, unfortunately that's as interesting as my life gets. Yeah sneezing in my mouth.
0: You have to do more dangerous things, clearly. Because <laughs> that's the way you experience
1: danger. I almost rode my bike without my helmet.
0: <laughs> but then I went for a run instead. <laughs> uh, the thing I like about PBR is it has a very uh, soft finish without being too sweet. Yeah, The mouthfeel is soft at the end. I think that that's right? a kind of distinguishing factor. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like... I don't know, it, it finishes with a, with a body and a mouthfeel that's almost on the creamy side. It's not creamy like a stout would be or a heavy porter like being syrupy, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not thin. And yet it finishes very clean and with a, just a hint of bitterness from the hops where it's not, you know, mm-hmm. sweet. It doesn't leave a sweetness in your, on your palate. That's why I like it so much. I'd be more prone to confuse this with like a Jenny Cream Ale
1: then yeah like yeah. a budweiser yep
0: yeah pbr uh, one of my favorite yellow beers and it's in a tallboy can cuz i could get a six pack and not have to buy a whole 12 pack if i got the tallboys so pbr tallboys we used to have tallboy tuesday at the brewery every now and then i'd bring uh on Tuesdays when I would go to the I'd like go to the bank and coming back to the brewery oh one.
1: you were at the bank sure yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. that's right yeah. yeah I had to run out to the bank <laughs> and i stopped stop at Stewart's on the way back and get those little those cheap uh, cheeseburgers they have oh yeah I'd get enough for all the guys working at the brewery and, and a six pack of PBR Tallboys and we'd call it Tallboy Tuesday I'd give everybody a burger and a Tallboy and <laughs> said don't say your boss never gave you nothing hey yeah, yeah.
1: that's a great gift yeah
0: yeah it was fun All right, well, that's PBR, and that's it for uh, segment number one of episode number 47 of the Music of the Spheres podcast. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with this evening's topic of discussion. See you soon. Of the Spheres podcast, this is episode number forty-seven, and we are beginning the second segment now to discuss this evening's topic. And as you can tell by the um, the name of this episode, it is the beginning of a series. So we have, as we have, sort of made a habit of recently that we uh, tend to take our time a little bit more with subjects now and uh, delve into them a little bit more deeply. So. Uh, I'm not sure how long this uh, series is going to go, but I just want to make sure I give it enough time to to kind of uh, do it justice as far as uh, this material that I've got and um, and kind of what what it means to me and how it you know sort of uh, has been something that has evolved for me over time and and just also to hear what you think about it. So, um, in short, the subject is the Shroud of Turin. Um, so I guess my first question would be, have you ever heard of it, Jason, the Shroud of Turin?
1: Something with, uh, the dwarves in uh, Middle Earth. (laughs) It's my
0: closest guess. (laughs) (laughs) The dwarves of Middle Earth? Yeah. Do they have something I think it's Durin. Durin. Oh, okay. Yeah, not Turin. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced Turin as well. I don't know. It's a city in Italy, so I don't know how you say it.
1: Oh, they had the Olympics there.
0: Oh, they did, didn't they? Yeah.
1: Well, I think we called it Torino.
0: Oh, really? I don't know. I'm going to have to look that one up some other time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'm thinking of a different place. Yeah. Well, um, so you've never heard of the Shroud of Turin? No. All right. Excellent. I'm excited to share a little bit about it with you. Um, I'll describe it uh, a a little bit more in detail in a few minutes when we get into kind of describing what it is. This episode is really going to be just about giving a little bit of history on this particular artifact. It's it's a historical artifact, a religious relic. uh, Okay. And uh, it's been debated over, as most religious relics are, as to its authenticity, right? Whenever you have... Uh, an artifact that that comes and there are claims of its originality to a particular um, you know part of a religious story, then you always have a debate as to whether it 's real or a hoax um, and I kind of want to get into that idea a little bit tonight um, you know in in a, in a minute, but I wanted to before I get into my actual presentation give you an idea of the source that i 'm going to be working from. It's a book by Dr. Andrew Silverman called "A Burst of Conscious Light, Near-Death Experiences, The Shroud of Turin, and the Limitless Potential of Humanity. So as you can tell by the subtitle of the book, I was pretty much ready to go as soon as I heard all of those things. <laughs> Don't say near-death experience around me unless you'd like me to get excited. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, the shroud of Turin of course is fast. has been fascinating to me for a long time. Um, and then a, the limitless potential of humanity. That's always sounds really cool to me. So, and of course, the book is actually called a burst of conscious light. And one of the main topics that we, we talk about on the show is consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's central to human life, <laughs> but also because it's also something that you and I are both interested in mm-hmm. you know not only from you know from my perspective as somebody who has a you know a worldview of like like us the Sagittarius that I am mm-hmm. of wanting to explore and understand more, right mm-hmm. and sort of go into those places of of mystery to to try to come out with more understanding. Consciousness is such a you know, Mm -hmm. a ripe field of mystery. So I like the idea of the study of consciousness and what it is, uh, why there is a feeling of existence that we all have, and yet there's this barrier to experiencing your existence. I can only hear you talk about it, and Mm -hmm. I can feel sometimes through energies or through empathy. I can feel a little bit of the consciousness and what it's like of those around me. And if I'm really in a good close like connected communicative relationship, I can I can hear what somebody's experience of consciousness is like a little bit better, but to experience it firsthand, it's right. So consciousness is fascinating to me. But it's also something that you're interested in being that you are one who studies the the mind and the psyche and the way that our the way that that all presents in our daily life and sort of the way that our our histories and our stories have impacted us and how that impacts our futures. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: that all has to do with consciousness too. So it's a fascinating subject uh, whenever we get an opportunity to talk about it. So this book by Dr. Andrew Silverman, and I'll give you a little update on him. Um, this is from his website. This is what it says about him. A medical doctor with a background in physics Dr. Andrew Silverman has been conducting research on the mind-matter continuum, near-death experiences, and the Turin Shroud for over 30 years. More recently, his findings have been presented in peer-reviewed scientific papers and at international scientific conferences. He is widely recognized as one of the leading experts on the Shroud and is currently in collaboration with other major scientists from around the world to solve the riddle of this unique object and how the image was formed. He has presented papers to the Scientific and Medical Network and the Society for Scientific Exploration, where he was introduced as a pioneer among a new generation of scientists who see that evidence from many disparate fields of inquiry all points to a conclusion that consciousness is fundamental and not merely a product of matter. Um, So that's Dr. Andrew Silverman. And sort of what he's uh, what he's been working on, um, and this is the book that they referenced in that biography. Um, and and what I like about it is is kind of what we keep as the central theme of our show is taking ideas that are interesting and maybe at times being considered a little bit out there or fringe kind of topics or mysterious things and applying, you know, sound reasoning and scientific method to them. Whether it's religious beliefs or whether it's things like fungus and, and how that impacts human life, or whether it's, you know, the study of personalities through the Enneagram like you've done, or in this case, the study of, of uh, a religious artifact and uh, linking that to what consciousness is, which is kind of a really cool, hmm connection. <clears throat> so that's where we're going to go over the next handful of my episodes. We're going to delve into this this book by Dr. Andrew Silverman. So I've linked to it in the show notes. But I highly recommend you pick it up. I've only gotten in a few chapters so far, and it's it's really well done. He does write from a perspective of, of Deep knowledge of the scientific method mm-hmm. uh, and the importance of using other sources in you know he's not just a guy sitting around pondering things you know he's mm-hmm. he's really looking at at how this stuff all fits together so um, so he begins uh his book with this uh, idea that he's going to keep coming back to, and the idea is attempting to point out. As it said in that biography, that consciousness is actually fundamental to the reality that we experience, not the other way around, right? And we talked about this before. Uh, we'll sometimes call it, um, you know, non-local consciousness, meaning that consciousness doesn't originate in the brain, that the brain doesn't produce consciousness, that the brain is actually more like a receiver <coughs> of consciousness. We've talked about this on the show uh, in a handful of different episodes in different ways. Uh, but what he's getting at is that, and and this goes with everything we talk about on the show of this idea of materialism, right? That if the, the brain is the material that creates, just like it creates thoughts and it creates body function and it creates different chemicals that regulate different systems, it also creates our Consciousness, our sense of being me or our sense of I am, right? That the brain also does that. Which then would mean when the brain stops working, then that goes away, right? It just your your consciousness or your sense of being or sense of I am just slips off to oblivion and that's the end of the story, right? So obviously, <laughs> anyone of a religious nature uh, even, you know, philosophers who err more on the side not err, but lean more towards philosophy than religion, even those folks, right, will often say things like, No, our, our there's something more about us that goes on beyond human death. Right? It's a it's a common one of the most common ideas in one of the most fundamental things in all religions, right? Or even spiritual spiritualities or philosophies is this sense of more than just this physical life. And so he says, uh, he's talking about research into the way that we can upload consciousness. Have you ever heard about any of these ideas where uh, this certain scientists, especially in you know working with AI and like supercomputers and stuff like that, are, are, you know, have essentially come up with the idea that maybe we could figure out you know all the information in our brain, and, and get it so that we could upload it all to a computer, right? And if we mm-hmm. upload it to a computer, we could continue existing in a computer universe after our physical body dies, right? Have you heard about research like that? Um, I mean, I've only really seen it on like
1: um, shows like the Black Mirror. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like a modern day Twilight Zone. Yeah. But technology based,
0: usually. Yeah. Um, and creating those kind of worlds. Yeah. yeah. Well, in his introduction, he talks about scientists that are actually working on that, that think they're, they're close to, like, mm-hmm. oh, we can just upload human consciousness. And yeah. once we upload, you know, because that's coming from the belief that it's all generated by the brain. And if it's generated by the brain, well, then the brain's just a really good computer. Mm-hmm. So if we make a computer that's as good as a human brain or better, then we can just upload ourselves there, and we don't have to worry about dying, right? Very. It's a very materialistic view. It's viewing the you know the human existence as created by gray matter. But he says, I don't think that's true. And I don't think that he he thinks there's some sort of essential element to our existence that could not just be uploaded. And he actually (laughs) talks about this fellow named Erwin Schrodinger. Have you ever heard of him? Schrodinger? Yes. Not, yeah, no, not the piano player from Peanuts. That's Schroeder. But... (laughs) Is it
1: Schrodinger?
0: Yeah. 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 No. Okay. Well, anyway, um, he's one of, the, uh, one of the founders of uh, quantum theory, which we talk about all the time on, on here, right? which well, I won't go into it. You can listen to all the other episodes where we talk about that. But, but he's the founder of quantum theory, and he says uh, this in one of his writings. Dear reader, recall the bright, joyful eyes with which your child beams upon you when you bring him a new toy. And then let the physicist tell you that in reality, nothing emerges from these eyes. In reality, their only objectively detectable function is continually to be hit by and to receive light quanta. In reality, a strange reality, something seems to be missing in it. So he's saying sort of this materialist scientist worldview is that, okay, eyes, yeah, we study them, we look at them, and they're just things that grab light particles. That's you know, how you see the world. Nothing else to them. Nothing at all. And yet, we know what it's like, this otherworldly, ethereal feeling that we get looking into the eyes of someone that we love. You just mm-hmm. We all ex- have experienced that in some way. There's a reason people say eyes are the window of the soul, right? There's something, and this is what he's getting at. And his quantum theory that he started, because he discovered these microscopic particles that don't seem to exist until you look at them, you know, that's what quantum theory is, Mm -hmm. that uh, he's saying you can't just say that uh, an eye is just a tool for receiving light, that Mm -hmm. there's something else to the human existence that... The eye looking at something actually impacts that something, which when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, of course, we always experience that. Mm -hmm. The way somebody looks at me means a lot. It's not just, they're not just taking in the light that's bouncing off of me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's something else happening in that observation. And this is going to be a key point.
1: If not like the eye roll, it wouldn't be such a powerful tool. Of don't a middle you? schooler, maybe. <laughs> yes, yes. That middle. Don't you
0: roll your eyes at me. You do that one more
1: time. <laughs> or like the cat showing me love right before he... <laughs> yes,
0: yes. He looks directly into your eyes right before he hocked one into your face. <laughs> Unleashes the nostril cracking. <laughs> the nostril kraken? Did you just say that? Release the nostril kraken. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. So... Uh, he get, then gets into this idea of you know consciousness and what mm-hmm. it means to be us and the idea of free will and the idea of you know can we uh, impact the world around us right? Um, and he gets into this idea of things that are supernatural or miracles, like things that are miraculous that are outside of the norm, right? So he says this: such extraordinary events, if they occur may not be occasions when the laws of nature are suspended, they may instead provide us with a glimpse into more fundamental and unified laws of nature that apply always, but that we usually don't notice because we cannot see the forest for the trees. So he's saying that miracles, in fact, do exist, but not in the way that we typically think of them as being just completely outside of reality right that's how we would define a a miracle right mm-hmm. this was like outside of reality you know just totally broke all the laws of physics totally you know broke all the laws of nature and just something weird happened but he's saying what if instead these are things that happen within the natural structure of the universe but just infrequently enough that they're not part of our understanding, quote-unquote, of how nature works, right? Which I love that idea because it leaves room for more discovery, which we know there always is, right? People that lived a thousand years ago would say that me sending a text message and somebody in another time zone getting it immediately would be a miracle to them to be able to communicate like that. Mm -hmm. For us, it's just everyday existence, you know? You text your friend from college that lives in another state and it's like... You just do it, you know, but it doesn't, you know, a worldview that doesn't leave room for that discovery must not have the whole picture. Mm -hmm. So he says, um, that he, uh, in order to delve into this, he's going to present evidence in this book that regards three of the most intriguing scientific mysteries of all time. Ooh. Doesn't that just all time. yeah? Doesn't that just make you feel like a cat's about to sneeze in your face? You know, who sends chills up and down your <laughs> spine. <laughs> Three of the most intriguing scientific mysteries of all time. What are they? Would you guess? You don't have to guess. I'll tell you. The f- first one he says is the Turin Shroud. Um, so, uh, and I'll tell you about what that is in a minute. Right. Um, He will say, uh, interest in the turn shroud waned after the famous 1980s carbon dating that seemed to suggest that it was medieval in origin. But as I will show, no one can account for how the image could have been fabricated. Um, And we'll talk about that in uh, later chapters. Uh, The second phenomena that he talks about that is one of the most intriguing scientific mysteries of all time is the near-death experience. Which we've covered before on this show, mm-hmm. um, to a, a pretty, pretty in-depth degree. And then the third one is the question of the role of conscious of the conscious observer in quantum mechanics in making reality real. So now, so we're talking about the shroud of Turin, we're talking about near-death experiences, and we're talking about the role of the conscious observer in quantum mechanics that makes the reality look as though it does. And you'll remember us talking about that as well from previous episodes. Quantum theory essentially stating that particles choose to be observable only when they are observed. <laughs> like they only come into existence upon observation is what quantum theory shows. So anyway, this whole uh, cloth thing, right? What is this all about? Um, so first, just a couple of um things it's one of the world's um, most famous historical religious artifacts um, and it's been one of the most closely studied by science of, mm-hmm. of all of the famous religious artifacts um, and uh, so you yeah. say cloth yes it's a piece of cloth so bef- I, I know I've been talking a long time and I hadn't said what this thing is yet <laughs> you're probably like shut up and tell me what it is or else I'm going to sneeze in your face <laughs> All right, so
1: here's what it is, and Turin, that's like, because in Italian, I think in Italy they call the city Torino. They do. You looked it up? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I. Well, maybe I've when, never like heard of Turin <laughs> or the Shroud. You've never heard of any of this until, stuff until like right now.
0: I think the I think I first encountered it, um, like back in the day when we first got cable, and I would stay up late watching the History Channel. I'm pretty sure there were like episodes about it. Oh, you know, okay, History's mysteries, or whatever it was. you Oh, know? sure, stuff like that. Right. But anyway, so I'll, I'll just read this, this little description that he has because he kind of gets into stuff before he gets to the description because he's trying to set the the tone for for where he's going with the book. Um, a couple things that I that I want to just point out from that, but before I keep talking about something you've never heard of, let me <laughs> let me say this. Great, the Turin Shroud. Is a fourteen foot long piece of cloth kept in Turin, Italy, that has some very unusual markings on it. All right. So imagine a fourteen foot piece yep. of cloth. Yeah, right. It's Got a big it. Big table. These uh, unusual markings consist of burn marks, water marks, blood stains, and the faint image of the front and back of a man's body. And if you get the book, you can see pictures, which I won't post, but. Um, you know, there's, there's pictures of the, sh- the, the actual shroud,
2: hmm.
0: which you can see there. Okay. So um, as, as fascinating as it is on the podcast, I'm showing Jason the yeah. pictures in the book of the shroud. But get the book. It's got great pictures and great diagrams about how this stuff all comes together. Um, but uh, you can also find it online. Just, you know, Google it and you'll find it. Um, all right. So it has the faint image of the front and back of a man's body on the cloth. Until around 1898, remember we're talking about 1898, right? Until around 1898, this seemed to be just an indistinct pattern that when viewed together with the blood-stained bloodstains, suggested that it was the image of a man who had been whipped and tortured and who wore a cap made of numerous sharp objects. The evidence also suggests that he had been crucified in a manner consistent with the Roman method of crucifixion as confirmed by other archaeological discoveries in the 20th century. In 1898, Secondo Pia, an Italian lawyer and photographer, was allowed access to the shroud for photography by the Savoy family, who were its owners. Now, this is interesting. So this guy, Secondo Pia, mm-hmm. it was, photography was very new at that time. Like sure. He was like just a nerdy like, photographer. He's like, I got this new f- you know, camera thing. And I'm going to try it out. And he knows these people. And they, let me take a picture of this. Let me, you know, let me check it out. So he takes, he gets access from the Savoy family to go and look at the shroud and he gets out his, you know, 1898 camera. Does it say how the Savoys own it? Uh, no, I, it doesn't say how they, Hmm. they came to be in possession of it. Um, Maybe there are maybe there is information, but he doesn't discuss that here. Um, so Pia nearly dropped his photographic plate in shock when he saw the negative that emerged from the photographs. The negative photo of the shroud looked, to all intents and purposes, like a very clear positive photograph, which implied that the shroud itself had some of the characteristics of a photographic negative. So if you take a negative of a negative, right? It, be, it displays like a positive, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's an inverse image. It's a negative image on this cloth, which is why when you look at the cloth um, and it looks like over here, the, the one that's tan, well, you can look up pictures of these. If you mm-hmm. look up the, and you see the tan picture, that's what it actually looks like. That's the color of the cloth.
2: Yeah.
0: And then this is the negative of it. And you can see in that gray negative, it's like the face pops out. Yeah, And you couldn't see it before. So this is what happened when it was photographed. It had never been photographed before this because there wasn't cameras before this. Right? Right. So this was the first time it had ever been a negative image. And this image of a man pops out so much more clearly than it ever had before with, with um, features and, you know, specific things in this image that had never been seen when it was in its original form. Just... Looking mm-hmm. like a cloth, they could see a faint image, but it wasn't anything with as much definition as the was um, the negative from the photographic, sure. right? So this is what this is when it became something. Before that, it was like you know, it was kind of your typical religious artifact, right? It was. Okay, yeah, the story goes that this came from that time, you know, like people will say, yes, we have wood from the cross that Jesus was hung on or, you know, or this was the, you know, the, I don't know, the the rock that Buddha sat on or whatever. I you mean, know, it's like people will say different things about, you know, and they just sort of pass the story down, but you don't ever really know. Because like your first question was, well, how do these Savoy people get it? You know, where'd it come from? Did they just make this thing? And, you know, now this guy's <laughs> so intrigued. He's taking pictures of yeah, it right. and, you know, they're going to make a lot of money off of it. You know, like that kind of thing. Right. So, um, so then, uh, yeah. So the, just, so that's the description of the cloth. That's what it is. Did that Does that answer your question as far as what we're talking about?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's helpful.
0: Yeah. Right, so it's believed, and you'll see this as we go through. It's believed to be the claw, the burial cloth of a very specific individual, Hmm. which we'll we'll, uh, you probably don't spoil it. Yes, yes, we're not going to spoil anything. Um, But uh, yeah, he's um, he's talking about. uh, Well, yeah, we talked. I I told you those things. Um, Oh yeah, what he's saying is essentially with a with a something like this. The the big question, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, is how how did all this imagery happen on this cloth? Because that's clearly a very important thing. Mm-hmm. Right. If if you look and you can see, all right, let's dye, you know, or it's paint, you know, then now it's clearly it's just a, a piece of art that somebody has come up with, right? Um, but if it's you know, if it's not that then it's got to be something else so uh, there are essentially two uh ideas that that come uh through history as to what this is the first one is that it's it was formed naturally you know some sort of natural chemical process that mm-hmm. created this stuff on it the second one is that it's a miracle Right, That it's some sort of a, you know, lightning bolt shoots down from God to prove to human beings, you know, something religious that they should believe in, right? So it's either natural or it's a miracle. He says he believes in a third position. And his third position is this. He suggests that the discoveries of the 20th and 21st century physics have now taken us to a point where we need a new paradigm for understanding the nature of consciousness and the relationship between mind and matter. And that if we do that, we'll have a new understanding that it's not necessarily just a normal natural thing that we already understand, nor is it a miracle. It's something that shows us this other path of a deeper understanding of how um, a deeper understanding of of how the natural world actually is that we live in. So that was the stuff that I wanted to get to before he actually describes what the cloth is. So that's why I kind of skipped over that. All right. So now we're getting into the research of this actual item, right? So mm-hmm. something more than they ever knew is here evident in this shroud once the negative image mm-hmm. pops up, right? So then they, uh, all right? so in 1976, John Jackson, an American physics pr- professor, uh, discovered that the shroud image had certain unique properties. Um, and so we're going to, find out what these unique properties are so they uh, gathered some scientists together and they created this thing called stirp which is the shroud of turin research project <laughs> s-t-u-r-p so the stirp project uh and this was the first time it was actually studied by scientists so in 1978 big study was done mm-hmm. and you can actually see some of the results of this in a uh in a movie that was produced um oh. that you can you can actually watch it came out and right around that same time. Um, so they went in there and they were expecting to find evidence of paint and pigment. They wanted to see who painted this and, and, you know, try to figure out, you know, it was just, just a very intricate piece of art that somebody created or, you know, let's try to crack this mystery. Right. Uh, they found nothing of the sort. They didn't find any, uh, pigment or paint or anything like that. What they found, um, was that the chemical nature of the image um, had nothing added to it, right? It wasn't, there wasn't anything added to the cloth. Mm-hmm. Um, what they found was that uh, each fiber, as they look at it, was control uh, composed of numerous fibrils, which are the little pieces of fiber m- made to make the yarn, right? And then the yarn is woven together to make the cloth. So these little um, pieces, each fiber is composed of numerous fibrils. What they found was that an oxidation and dehydration of some of these fibrils had somehow occurred, causing the color to change to a more sepia hue than the adjacent fibrils. Right? So it was oxidation and dehydration. So it wasn't anything being added to them. Mm-hmm. They were exposed to something. It wasn't no paint, it wasn't dye, it wasn't you know any kind of a
2: right.
0: you know scraping or cutting or anything like that to you know etch it in it wasn't anything like that. it was an exposing that to some something that created oxidation and dehydration, and he says there's evidence that it suggested it may have been ultraviolet light that caused the shroud image that's on it um And as a consequence, the thickness of the image is less than a thousandth of a millimeter. Uh, So the scientific evidence actually suggests that the source of the radiation that formed the image was not from the sun, right, which would have penetrated farther into it, right, but from the dead body that was contained within the shroud. So the evidence suggests, because of where it is, how it you know it's if it were the sun right it would it would have been a, more of an outline right like the sun would have been mm-hmm. you know where the shadow would be the sun would be around it right yeah if you leave a piece of paper sitting out with something on top of it right for you know a couple months and you come back and it's faded where the thing wasn't that's what it would have looked like but instead there's detail all throughout the inside of it so whatever this whatever this uv light that hit this shroud came from the body that was around it. That's what he's saying.
1: Hmm. I think there was a uh Everybody Loves Raymond episode with um like those big wooden spoon and fork. Yeah. Those parents yeah. keep on the wall. Um when they've been there so long, he you know, like he takes them down one episode and like <laughs> the outline of the spoon yeah. is yeah. like on the wall.
0: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh they say the only way that this could have been done by somebody trying to forge it would be that they would have to, um, if one postulates a forger uh, being responsible for the image, then he or she would have to have in some way altered the cloth at the microscopic level, fibril by fibril, without being able to see the work while it was being done. Because you had to do it so close, right? You wouldn't be able to see the the whole thing Mm. because it's 14 feet, you know? So seven feet. You know, is the front, seven feet is the back. It's wrapped around the front and the back of the body. Uh, Also, the forger would have had to have anticipated forensic and technological advancements that would occur several centuries later and have deliberately included information in his or her handiwork that would only become apparent, understood, and testable many hundreds of years later. Mm -hmm. Right? If this was done in the medieval period, you know, in the 1300s or something like that, as a, as a hoax or forgery, whoever did it would have had to know, okay, well, when somebody photographs it, you know, yeah. in 500 some odd years and takes a, you know, negative of it, then it'll show up right. and then my hoax will be complete. Right. right? So that's what they're saying. Right. Well, it was probably um, a time traveler then.
1: Yeah. <laughs> who forged it. Um, I thought you were going to say they would have had to just kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's yeah. the best way to make it look real. Right. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah, but then you have to get them to emit UV radiation from their body, right? So, uh, all right. Uh, so the notion that the shroud image could have been painted is not sustainable. Um, the image is not, and these are the reasons why. It's not visible from uh, close to the cloth and uh, is composed of alteration, coloration of parts of individual fibrils in a pixelated manner. So it's like pixels, right? The, the way that the, the way that the, a definition, like the darker bits are made, is because it contains more little spots of this dehydration and oxidation that causes it to go sepia. Mm-hmm. It's not because it's it's not because it's like um, deeper into the image or something like that. It's just more concentration of these little uh, w- what he thinks is UV radiation hitting it, right? So it's more concentrated, which makes it appear darker. So that's why it can't be paint or it couldn't have been a you know something that was added onto it. The artist would have had to have painted the image one pixel at a time because of that, because of this pixelated thing. There are no brush strokes, no directionality, and no outline. Um, so it's not like there's no edge to it. It's just you know, the centers, and then it gets smaller as it goes. Uh, chemical and radiographic examinations of the shroud image have confirmed that the image does not consist of a chemical coating but rather oxidation and dehydration. So, there's no, no change in it chemically. It's, it's oxidized, dehydrated fabric material that causes the color change. All right. So, that all making sense so far? Yeah. All right. Well, then you got the blood on there. Um, so, there's blood stains. So, there's, there's, the, there's the sepia image, there's blood stains, and then there's the uh, fire damage. Um, unlike the body image, the blood stains penetrate through the thickness of the cloth. When they are viewed microscopically, one can see that unlike the case of the fibers bearing the body image, the fibers bearing the blood stains are indeed matted together. Where the blood stains are present in the image areas, the image is missing underneath the blood stains. All right? So this this says that the blood was there first, right? Cuz the whatever the image that was projected onto this, the blood was already there and dried. So blood first, right? And then the event of whatever cast this image onto the shroud happened after, because it's not below the blood, the image. Mm-hmm. So uh, the negatives, and then using you know computer reconstructions of it, is so detailed that they were able to pick out actual like forensic evidence of what had happened to this body as they start to look at it. So here's some so here's some of the stuff that they found. Okay, there's evidence of tearing of the flesh in more than 120 places. Um, it Shows that there was some uh, whipping because of lacerations to the skins or to the skin. Significant difference in the height between the two people that were whipping this individual. There's one whipping them from one side and one whipping them from a different angle, and you can see the height difference because of the way the marks hit the body. This is all kind of that gruesome, like you know t v show mm-hmm. forensic stuff uh there are signs of injuries sustained in a fall, possibly while carrying a beam uh, with bruising around one cheek and swelling around the nose as well as signs of severe laceration to the left knee so there's but it, there's you know scrapings on the shoulder that it's a contusion like you know from what could be a large wooden beam mm-hmm. um and then falling onto the face yeah. um, let's see uh this research was published in peer-reviewed uh, scientific journals. Just again, that, that's kind of woven all through here. That this has been a scientifically notated process. There are blood stains all over the forehead and all over the scalp, so the top of the head, including the vertex of the head, implying that a cap of thorns may have been placed on this individual's head. So all over the head, not not around like a like a you know circular, but like a a big pile kind of. Two streams of blood are seen as though blood had flowed down from the forearm, so from the, you know, from the wrist and the forearm, uh, down toward the elbow. If we consider which position the arms would have been in to make these streams close to vertical, it is implied that the hands were raised above the shoulders as though the body had been suspended by the wrists, as in crucifixion, right? So um, this... Fellow uh, Robert Buckland was a forensic examiner in Los Angeles in the 1970s. And so he worked, he worked like as the guy that did all the forensic analysis for the death of bodies in Los Angeles in the 70s. So mm. he was a busy guy. Yeah. And, and well, well, well versed in this stuff. He said this the markings on this image are so clear and so medically accurate that the pathological facts they reflect concerning the suffering and death of the man depicted here are, in my opinion, beyond dispute. So he he can say, like, yeah, I've seen a lot of dead bodies and I've seen what's happened to him. This is very clear of, of you know, how these injuries happened to this individual. There's this other guy, John Robinson. Uh, he was a, more of a skeptic um, for everything, right? Always sort of being skeptical of these kinds of things. He worked at the Trinity College at the University of Cambridge. Um, and uh, he said that this... Uh, if he were able to take a look at the shroud, he'd be able to figure out that it was a hoax, that's bogus. Right. Mm-hmm. However, the more Robinson found out about the shroud, the more he realized that there were many features that a forger would never have thought of. Uh, you know, some of those things have to do with um, like where the nails were placed, because it's not specific in the New Testament where the nails are placed in the the hands. On the crucifixion, and so uh, the so the question shows that these were through the wrist, not through the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also uh, pollen samples that were taken from the shroud itself. Uh, Swiss criminologist and pollen, pollen expert. I don't know how you become a pollen expert, <laughs> Max Frey. Uh, studied the pollen on the shroud and concluded that it had spent time in Europe, but also around Can- Constantinople and the Middle East, and in particular around the area of Jerusalem. Um, this guy named Ian Wilson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you know that, but. Yeah. Pollen's. Somebody's got to be an like expert on print. pollen. Yes, yes. <laughs> pollen needed an expert. <laughs> and just in that moment, Max steps forward. Hey. <laughs> Hey, I'm Max and Push I'm here the for the button, that.
1: Max. <laughs> I'm
0: here for the pollen. Uh, historian Ian Wilson made a study of historical depictions of Jesus and found that before approximately the 6th century, there was very little consistency in the depictions of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Right? So people would make icons or whatever. Right. They're all different. Yeah. But after that time, they all tend to be similar to the image <laughs> found in the shroud. Um this is interesting, as around that time, a cloth is reported to have been discovered or perhaps rediscovered in Odessa, with a mysterious imprint of Jesus that was described as not made by human hands. And this is pulling from history. So, um, The last thing that he uh, gets into here is, is trying to figure out the date of this, right? Sure, that would be right. important. You're gonna wanna know, Where, when did this thing come from? Well, interestingly... Um, there's this, the, the whole idea of um, the, clearly this individual was crucified. And that was very common and very well documented as a practice used by the Roman Empire as exe- for an execution. That was the, mm-hmm. one of their main execution techniques, but only for a period of time. There was only a certain period of time where they did that. They... Figured out other ways to kill people after that, I guess you know. <laughs> but also, there is um, there is this instance of Jewish law that happened um, that required burial after sunset, um, or sorry, before sunset. That a body needed to be buried before sunset, which means that um, it wouldn't be washed, right? Uh, like a body. Would normally be a body would normally be cleaned, but this body, in fact, obviously was not because of the blood stains that are present. Mm-hmm. So, the fact of blood stains plus crucifixion and burial, right? The body was clearly buried. Normal crucifixion was they would leave them on the cross so that the birds could pick at them, you know, and that would be a, a sign to everybody don't mess with the Roman Empire, right? right. But this body was taken off the cross. Buried, when we see the blood stains, we know that it was buried with the, tur- the you know the shroud. There's no birds picking at it. You know wounds mm-hmm. present on the body. So there was only one short period of time in history where both of those things would have been the law. It was they call it like a double rule, right? Because there were two laws coming into play at once. One was the Roman uh, execution of crucifixion, which happened over a long period of time, but, but it was finite. And then you have the Jewish rule that would have only happened when the Jewish people were allowed to create their own laws and execute them. Mm -hmm. And so both of these had to be in effect, Roman crucifixion and Jewish burial before sunset. And there's only 60 years in history where that took place. Mm -hmm. And it is 6 CE to 66 CE. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that's the only time you would have found somebody who was crucified and also buried. Uh so that's how they're coming to the dating. Um so uh, we talked before about carbon dating. There was carbon dating that happened in the 80s that uh-huh. suggested that the shroud was actually from the 1300s based on carbon 14 dating. Well, there are some uh there are some questionable uh reports on that dating. The main one of them being they took it from the edge of the cloth, the very corner of the cloth, because nobody wants them to disturb, because sure. you have to take it off and destroy it to do this carbon dating, right? Yeah. So nobody's going to let them take from the middle of it, right? They took from the edge, and there's there's evidence, I guess, in the way that it looks or the way that the sewing is that this is a repaired part of the cloth. So they're thinking that perhaps that carbon dating came from a reparation. Hmm. But there's also some other things that are questionable about the the carbon dating on this cloth. So um, that's some of the history on it. Do you have any questions so far before I jump into the next bit here?
1: Um, no, not questions. All
0: right. Kind of see where this is headed. You see where this is going? See where this is going? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, from their extensive uh, microscopic radiographic and chemical analysis, they concluded that they could not, this is the STERP scientists, the 1978 crew, uh, okay. they could not find a method by which the image with all its unique characteristics could have been manufactured even with 20th century technology um, and to date nobody has been able to account for how an image with these properties might be manufactured even with 21st century technology either hmm. right so um, this book uh, let's see uh, bears a copyright date of 2020 Right, so as of 2020, still no, st- nobody could say, "Oh, yeah, I can, I can remake this image." Let me get out my, you know, 3D printer and zap one of these babies out. You know, right. nobody's been able to do that yet. Yeah. So, you know, people can say it's a hoax, hoax, and they can talk about the carbon dating, but no one can then come forward and say, "But this is how it was done," um, which is fascinating to me. And the interesting thing about it is that carbon dating that came out in the 80s was the big story about the shroud of Turin which is probably why you Jason have never heard of it because it the year that it was carbon dated it was the year that you were born. Oh. And so no I thought Bobby McFerrin writing Don't Worry Be Happy was the most exciting <laughs>
1: thing about 1988 but
0: yeah, I guess not. Yeah, no. No, there's more things exciting about it. So uh so th- what that what that means is that the general public was like, oh, yeah, I saw that one thing in the news. It was a hoax. It was just made and whatever. And people just stopped looking at it, stopped investigating, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean that anything, you know, there's anything less real about it. It's just one report came out that totally deterred people from interest in it. All right. So this is where we're going to get a slight uh, slightly technical here. Um, the chemical changes in the image-bearing fibrils are the same as those in the cellulose of paper, which turns sepia yellow upon exposure to sunlight, and so we know sunlight has within it UV radiation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, research at ENEA, uh, where did he say what ENEA is? Oh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't. That that's a reference to something which I didn't note. Um, research at the ENEA has demonstrated that certain key features of the image can be replicated by projecting. Short-duration, high-intensity ultraviolet rays on the surface of linen. So uh, this is where the conclusion is drawn that it, the most likely thing that we can figure out is that it's ultraviolet radiation energy. Mm-hmm. But it has to be short-duration because, because it wasn't burned up. But it also has to be high-intensity to make that kind of a change. Right? Anything other, low-intensity, it wouldn't have appeared as an image. And too long of a duration, it would have burned it, you know, like, you know, you leave s- even just a piece of paper out in the sun for too long it starts to curl and, and get all destroyed, you know, from from that exposure. Um, so the the photographic negative properties uh, suggest that the image may well have been caused by radiation and. Um, And then there's distance-coded information contained in the image that implies that the radiation appears to have emanated from the body, meaning that the parts of the uh, shroud that were touching the body have more intense radiation than the parts that were farther away. So you think about the face. The nose was actually touching because it was draped across the face. The eye sockets were not. Mm -hmm. So the nose is more intensely essentially burned into the shroud than the eyes. Right. right. Um, okay. So what happens here is uh, he talks about nuclear power plants um, that they produce a power output of around four billion watts. Uh, you know, so watts watts is a uh, measure of the rate of energy transfer, not how much, but how fast it's transferred. Right. So you can transfer a small amount of energy in a really short, or a large amount of energy in a really short amount of time if you have a lot of wattage. Right which would be what you would need to make this. You'd need a lot of watts. (laughs) 10,000 gigawatts. (laughs) 1.21, whatever it is. I don't know. However many gigawatts you need. 10,000, that would be a lot. Nah, it's not enough. That's a lot of gigawatts. Um, So the wattage of the process that formed the image on the cloth appears to have been over 1,000 times more, something like uh, 34,000 billion uh, watts. <laughs> that's not a real number. <laughs> 34,000 billion.
1: Sounds like something a five-year-old that's makes what I, yeah, when that's, like...
0: That's how many gigawatts.
1: How many trucks are you playing <laughs> with over there? <laughs>
0: 34,000 billion. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them are yours. <laughs> yeah. All right. Huh. Um, so that leads us to the question of uh, who is the man of the shroud, Jason? Mm-hmm. Evidence from the pollen found on the shroud and other data Uh Say that this appeared to have happened in either March or April in the environs of Jerusalem at some point between the years six and sixty-six CE. So that's a that's a combination of all of the data. If you take the pollen, you take the um, if you take the, the pollen and if you take uh, the idea of the double rule of Jewish mm-hmm. law and Roman law overlapping, then you get March or April, Jerusalem between 6 and 66 CE. Yeah. Uh, the Mr. crown of... Uh, what was it? Colonel Mustard in the <laughs> yeah, library yeah, with yeah. The, cat, the corkscrew. Uh, as the crown of thorns was a very specific form of mockery and torture um, that is said to be des- devised specifically for the individual known as Jesus of Nazareth, this together with all the other evidence mentioned above strongly suggests that the man whose image we see on the shroud is none other than that of Jesus of Nazareth. Because now you add in the crown of thorns. It was not common practice in right. Roman crucifixions for a crown of thorns to be employed, right? Uh, now, they said it wasn't really a crown based on the imagery on the skull. It was more a... Baseball of a, hat. Yeah, yeah. It was the... It, Without it, the brim, though. It was the fedora of, <laughs> of thorns or whatever. <laughs> um, so he says this... Um, as such, uh, it, it affords us this affords us an opportunity to understand Jesus in a fresh way. It connects us directly to his personal journey, thereby bypassing two thousand years of history and the politics of religious institutions. <laughs> right? He said he said what, essentially, what we have is a primary source here. Mm-hmm. if you if you buy that this is, you know the shroud of Jesus of Nazareth, mm-hmm. then we have a primary source that is not filtered through. Religious dogma of two thousand years, which, as you and I know from studying church history, there's a lot of that.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot
0: of disagreements. There's a lot of well, let's take this out and add this in, and let's you know rewrite this, and let's push this person out and kick this guy out, and <laughs> invite these people in, but kick this other group out. And yeah, you know, and uh, like, I mean, all... <laughs>
1: Thomas Jefferson did that with his own Bible, right?
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Because because written,
0: like, I, don't, I don't like this. Get rid of it. Um, all right, so. Uh, Yeah, so there's um, three possibilities that would explain, that people try to use to explain. Uh, Some people believe the image was fabricated, perhaps by a medieval artist, right? Um, But uh, one of the stirp um, Mm -hmm. people that studied this said this, we have to believe in a miracle to think that the shroud is a medieval hoax. Because you have to believe that somebody could have created it in medieval times with technology that we don't even have today that could create the same kind of a thing on a cloth right This the way that the uv radiation impacted the fiber in such a specific way they still don't know how it was done so mm-hmm. you have to you have to believe in an equally great miracle to say hoax than you do to say oh this is just the actual thing that that it says it is mm-hmm. right just as much just as much has to be assumed in that um the other theory of image formation is that of the natural release, release of chemicals from the decomposing body, right? Um, they're talking about Maillard reactions, which is like what makes an apple turn brown, you know? Saying, okay, well, as the body decomposes underneath the shroud. It leaves these marks behind. But he's saying that, that can't be the case because in every other case where we see Maillard reactions, you know, just from chemical browning of materials, it's not ever specific to like you know, outlines of of features that are so distinctive, that, and especially the way that they show up on the cloth. So, so it can't be that either. Then he says there's others that argue that the shroud is just a miracle in nature and therefore can't be understood by any kind of study. But he says, no, I, we can study this thing. Let's keep studying it. Let's keep looking at it. it there's more that it can tell us here. Um so his big question then is this: What might have caused a dead body to produce such a momentary burst of radiant energy, and what might be the underlying mechanism for this? So, what makes this happen? Uh, he is going to present the case later in, in subsequent episodes here on our podcast that the power of the man who left the image on the shroud lays in his humanity. He doesn't think that this is a indescribable miracle. he's kind of redefining miracle for us actually instead of saying it's not a miracle he's saying no this is natural something that happened from a human being and what was it that happened right something that is within the laws of nature just laws of nature that we don't understand yet is really what he's saying which is why it's so important that we study this and and learn this because it's going to show us something that we have yet to understand um so the last thing that he gets into is this idea that um, that this is uh, calls for a redefining of the empirical model. So empirical research is all based on observation, right? Mm-hmm. So you pick something that you're going to study, you observe it in all possible ways, you know, with all the natural human senses, but then employing technological devices to read, take measurements, and do your observations. And then from your observations, you create your theory, right? That's pretty standard. It's the empirical scientific model, right? Well, he says that the empirical model has no meaning unless the mind exists, uh, because all of that observation takes place in the mind, And also, the mind is influencing the observation that's happening, right? So we're talking, again, about the Mm -hmm. quantum theory that the observer actually plays a role. Now, we know about this when when certain scientists are trying to observe, like, you know, species of animals, right? And they don't want to interfere with what they're actually going to do. So they try to stay hidden, you know, and just observe from a distance, right? So you know that, like, observation... um, what is it like, like poisons the, the study, you know, when the observer interferes with it inadvertently, Mm -hmm. but he's talking about even on a different level that just by, just by observing it, you have to take into account that you're influencing this reality in some way by observing. And it goes back to that original quote at the beginning from Erwin Schrodinger that says "The, the eyes are more than just receptors of light. There's there's an obs- observation that's coming out of them that's impacting their reality, and from some of the other stuff we talked about on the show, it's probably true. I, I tend to believe it's true. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to end with a quote from Erwin Schrödinger, which will kind of uh, get us off into the next place that we're going to go with this I'm sort of jumping off point. Erwin uh, Schrödinger, the Nobel Prize-winning founder of quantum theory, felt that the empirical world view was empty and incomplete. Here's what he said. We step with our own persons back into the part of an onlooker who does not belong to the world, which by this very procedure becomes an objective world. Color and sound, heat and cold are our immediate sensations. Small wonder that they are lacking in a world model from which we have removed our own mental person. The material world has only been constructed At the price of taking the self, that is, mind out of it, removing it. Mind is not part of it. Obviously, therefore, it can neither act on it nor be acted on by any of its parts. So essentially what Schrodinger says in that quote is that if you just decide that you can look at everything objectively, you are taking yourself out of creation, out of the world around you, out of the existence that you're in, and saying... You know i can observe this table completely as somebody that's not here but you're here in order to observe it you are there and you are interacting with it because you're observing it and so you can't take your own consciousness out of the equation and so this is going to lead into where he's going to go with this which i'm not exactly sure where that is because consciousness is going to somehow play a role in how he thinks this uv radiation got onto this shroud Hmm. But there you go. That's the introduction into the Shroud of Turin and what it might teach us about human consciousness. So, all right. We're going to take a little break and then we'll be back with uh, Jason's wonderings and musings upon this topic. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'll be right back.
1: Segment of one forty seventh
0: episode. You have your late night talk host radio voice on, Jason.
1: <laughs> I think it's the PBR.
0: <laughs> it's so smooth that it's making you that much smoother. Yeah.
1: Well, and I just heard that music was um, about being smooth, <laughs> uh, for lack of a
0: yeah. More options to say that. What song, though, it, you know, when you break it all down, isn't somehow about love? You know, like Enter Sandman, for example. Where Mariano
1: Rivera comes <laughs> to the mound. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Who doesn't love Mariano? Yeah. He loves that, that what you saying? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. <laughs> yeah. So
0: you can look at
1: me. Or what does... Uh, <laughs> Um, what is the magic carpet ride? Don't, don't they say something about? Um, don't you dare close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been. That's where Metallica yeah. got it from. That was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they stole it from Aladdin.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I knew James Hetfield and Jasmine had something in common. <laughs> I think this is the second episode in a row we've mentioned James Hetfield, actually. Well,
1: yeah, because you're doing the, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. no, It's yeah. that song. That's your Sandman. <laughs>
0: that's, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> or it be the other way around. It might be no first and then yeah. Always ends on a positive note. That's what it is. Yeah. Went from a negative to a positive. Sorry. Well, that's
1: usually how it goes. I mean, um... You'd do, like, at the end of the day, um, reflections, right? Mm-hmm. With a group, you'd kind of yeah. start with, like, what was negative about today? Mm-hmm. But then, what was positive? Right.
0: Always bring them back around. Yep. Yep.
1: And uh, we do something similar with prayers, too. That is true. Often. Mm-hmm. So.
0: And with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a... <laughs> Very long game. <laughs> and it
1: comes, it just ebbs and flows so much. It's yeah, like yeah. The roller
0: coaster ride. I know, I know. Emotion. The roller coaster of emotions that is the music of the spheres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, music of the spheres would have multiple and various emotions.
1: But you said something um, just now about, I mean, a completely different topic. Like, you know, what song doesn't end up talking about love yeah which that's a good point like you dig a little and probably that's true
0: right (laughs) at least one way or another yeah in many ways right right it's like about you know the positives or the negatives that we experience Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah so i think and maybe i can make this connection um in a similar way like things like and I know we haven't really gotten to the conscious slide and the near-death experiences part of this. Yeah, I know. I can't wait for that, though. So kind of have to focus on the, <laughs> on the Shroud right. itself right. and, it, and yeah. the, its story. Um, but in a way, I think the Shroud is sort of similar to that idea. Or just like any artifact that, or relic or, I don't know, I, I guess there are many different words <laughs> people use interchangeably yeah. that has sort of a unknown past or Mm -hmm. part of its story is missing so we have to fill in the gaps um, or like give it different options of what it actually could be Mm -hmm. right like we heard well it could be the actual cloth yeah or it could be something somebody like this beautiful piece of art that somebody figured out how to make mm-hmm. sometime in history yeah um, so you kind of like get these different options that, and I end up kind of thinking no matter what it is it's still really a really cool story mm-hmm. and a cool idea yeah um, and it still leaves people um, like feeling something because of it yeah. When they see it, when they hear mm-hmm. about it. Even if they are skeptical about it, right? Yeah. And think, "Oh, uh, this is just like some sort of human made icon to to celebrate. I mean, even if that's the case, which who knows what it is, right? right? I guess maybe we don't even have the technology yet to figure it out. Um, or there's so many questions about it. But even if that's the case, like somebody or a group of people were trying to make something beautiful to honor this belief they have. Yeah. So I don't know, it's almost like relics, artifacts, they also always come back to like whether they're real or not. It's like there's a there's a beauty within them no mm-hmm. matter what the case is. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I was kind of thinking about that a little bit as you were talking, like why I've, cause I found myself thinking like, well, what's the, what's the history of this thing? Like, right. how, yeah. uh, like, you know, if it was, wouldn't somebody have like, um, you know, protected it and like <laughs> passed it down and, yeah. but I mean, then you think about history is like full
0: of twists and turns oh, yeah. and, yeah um, and, and I think actually Lila even mentioned it on a you know, a mind of the middle schooler one time about, you know, how much information is lost to history. You know, about how mm-hmm. how much even even if records are well kept and even if things are written down and stored, then those libraries get destroyed in, you know, wars or natural disasters, mm-hmm. you know. But that's only the stuff that was ever recorded. Right? And was it recorded correctly in the first place? Or was it not? You know, was it was it filtered through the lens of, you know, a particular Political climate of the time, mm-hmm. right be like so there's you look at history and we we tend to this idea of history as something that could just be very plainly and matter of factly said in the front of a classroom, you stand up and say. Yes, this is exactly what happened 600 years ago., oh, mm-hmm. wow, this day and that, does this person, this, and that did that, and then the king of that, and then they won this war, and then yeah. you know, like you can kind of like boil it down to those things. And, and because of that, because of that being our only way to really that's, that's the only way we can really have a touch point with history is through historians studying it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But we, we forget that they're not they can't tell a complete picture. Of of what the history was actually like, and so there's so much that's that's lost in the communication, mm-hmm. and there's so much that probably never was communicated, and so yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, because I had this, I had similar thoughts about the shroud of Turin too, and I kind of set it aside after I heard about the carbon dating thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh yeah, I, I remember, like, oh yeah, there's like even still, like you type it in, they're
1: so emphatic. It's like, oh yeah, thirteen hundred. Yep, that's it. <laughs> yep.
0: Hoax. Done. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and, and yet really? you can say that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and like that carbon dating. Okay. You can say, yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that was an accurate test and done correctly and no, you know, and it was from a part of the shroud that was, you know, complete to it. But that still doesn't answer the question of how it happened. Mm-hmm. How do you have these marks on this cloth? Right. That you, you can't figure out a way to make in, this, in the same way now. Mm-hmm. Given all this amazing like laser technology that we have, you know, like how how would you do it? Right. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to see like the 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 hoax. this is the thing: is like, and it, this is, goes beyond just this particular artifact or event, right? Mm-hmm. The the hoax people always say, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is how it was done. Super easy. You know, so like just do this, 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 this." But then when they Come to the point of like, okay, so then do a replica of it. Okay, well they could maybe attempt it, but it would cost so much money to do it that they never will attempt it, mm-hmm. right? Which just in that very fact shows what an undertaking it is. Because mm-hmm. if it would cost a lot of time and energy and money and resources in our time, what would it cost in time, money, energy and resources in you know a time that they say was thirteen hundreds, right? So that's you know six seven hundred years ago, right. or something like that, like. Well, what would it cost them, you mm-hmm. know? If it would it would cost us so much that we wouldn't even undertake it, you know? People will say that, yeah, the, they built the pyramids with, uh, you know, copper chisels and a, a whole bunch of really healthy slaves, you know? But then who's trying to show us how they did that? Nobody's gonna try to build a thing like the pyramids with copper chisels and a lot of manpower, mm-hmm. right? It's, they're they they can't cuz it's such an undertaking that you would never attempt it even it's just economically unfeasible right yeah so that's an interesting thing about just the the, the hoax idea right of, of anything in history mm-hmm. when people say and all that doesn't couldn't have happened a simple explanation and then you say there's a simple explanation but you won't even show us the simple explanation right yeah
1: you know? yeah and uh, yeah I, I wonder too about people's uh um like motivations when it's a, a relic that is connected to like uh, this this holy sort of uh um you know spirit led belief system and um if there's you know if it's more uh if there's more emotion involved than if it was like like a coin in the Roman
0: empire or something right right, right. trying to pr- trying to prove who was the who was the you know tax collector's assistant right. at the time yeah. you know it's like nobody's like emotionally invested in that yeah yeah so we just got to figure it out yeah and i'm glad that you mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> really because because this is a thing that i i thought about a lot i remember like when I was younger when I was when I first encountered this. And now I'm I'm coming to it from a totally different place in life, this sort of engagement with this artifact, even though I've never even been near it. Mm-hmm. I hope to go and see it sometime. They they allow people into the space where they have it stored. Like every so often they'll open it up for people to go mm-hmm. and, and, and actually see it in person. Of course behind a behind Glass in an environment like, yeah, like, behind, like bulletproof glass. Yeah, 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 and it's like environmentally controlled. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's filled with inert gas so that the oxygen doesn't deteriorate it. You know, mm-hmm. like all kinds of stuff. They're doing their best to um, protect it. But I, you know, when I was younger, back watching History Channel late at night when I probably had been going to bed, to me it was like. Oh, this is cool. This is proof that what we believe at church is mm-hmm. like real, right. you know? Yeah. And that's that's like a very like visceral, you know? And, and even like the terminology that I've been using recently, like it's very tribal, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, this proves that I'm right. This right. proves that my side is right, you know? And I remember having that feeling about it. Like how, this, how cool is this, you know? Yeah. And then feeling like totally deflated when the right. carbon dating comes out and be like, oh, it's, you know... Science proved it was a hoax. We're not going to convince anybody that we were right now right. because yeah. they said, you know. And, and that's what I – that's the perspective that I think muddies the actual picture so often is that people who say they're proponents like Dr. Andrew Silverman of further investigation and upholding it as, as a reality, as a true, a true mm-hmm. mystery – not a not a hoax and not a you know outside the bounds of science miracle mm-hmm. you know because that's what you have you have like hoaxers and miracleers you know yeah and the miracle people are like no this is proof that i'm right and the hoaxers are like you bunch of ridiculous idiots believe in stuff that you know it's not real that and you just have those two sides that's why I so much liked at the beginning of this that he says, no, I think there's a third understanding here. There's another way for us mm-hmm. to come at this that is not emotionally connected to either of these things. You know, the emotional connection to science trying to disprove religion and the emotional connection to religion trying to disprove science, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not either of those. It's saying, what if this is showing us some other way, right, of, mm-hmm. of understanding which, sorry, this is your segment, but there's two other things that this that makes me think of, right? And this is coming from my theological understanding of Jesus Christ and who he was and who the Bible claims him to be, particularly uh, in the Gospel of John, which oftentimes is referred to as sort of the more, I guess it's the more mystical gospel. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the more theologically advanced gospel. They think it was written a little bit later after some deeper development of ideas and understandings had come about. Uh, but there's two very specific things that are said in that gospel that sound exactly like this, what we're talking about tonight, without even... This book didn't even talk... This, he's not talking about this from a religious perspective. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, if we you know can prove this, then it'll... You know, turn the world around and everybody will believe in Jesus and blah, 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 mm-hmm. new, all you know, rebirth of the world because of, a you know, Christianity spreading or whatever. He's, he's not even looking at it from that perspective. He's looking at it from another perspective. But what he's saying, first of all, that this shroud bears the mark of ultraviolet light that hit it. The gospel of John says that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. That's what it says in the beginning of the of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Later in the gospel, Jesus Christ tells the disciples that he is the way and the truth and the life, right? He's the way of understanding and the early church was called the way because there was a there was a way showing that happened, you know, through Following Jesus Christ, that people learned a way to go to somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what he's saying is that this is showing us a new way of understanding our humanity. That so, it's like he's almost like uncovering what sounds to me like a truth that has shown up in scripture, but now through scientific evidence, the same truth is showing up light actually physically shines on a piece of cloth and then shows people a new way of understanding, Mm -hmm. right? Our human existence. That's kind of what he's saying in this book. And I just kept thinking that's so striking because it's like the same words, but just understood in a totally other way. That it's (laughs) light and way. And that's what... That's what he's talking about here in this book. So, yeah, fascinating to me. I don't know exactly what that means, but, you know. <laughs> or maybe I do. Maybe I do. Maybe I just totally understand it, and I just haven't really put actual words that I can speak to right. it. I don't know.
1: Hmm. Well, no, another thing I was thinking, too, I mean, <clears throat> even the time of, like, when John's Gospel was
0: written, it was like, 90
1: Mm-hmm. Ish.
0: That's what they think. Right? I think, yeah, yeah, right around um, the turn of the first century.
1: And it didn't take, or it took until um, Constantine kind of making Christianity the, like bringing it mm-hmm. out of the woodwork yeah. in the 300s. Am I remembering these dates? Right? That
0: sounds about right. It was several hundred years old before it really, right, got any steam behind it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it, but it had. But what made it, what gave it steam, was political power,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? And what has you know been its the thorn in its side, <laughs> you know the whole the whole time. What is and there's marks, there's marks mm-hmm. on the side of this body that he didn't talk about it mm-hmm. in this part. But um, you know the, what has been the problem for you know most religions is political power and mm-hmm. how they wield it when they get into it, you know. Yeah. Usually religions do fine until they're like a political powerhouse and then they're like, "Ah, oh, we don't know what to do with this." Right. <laughs> also, and then
1: basically like um the shroud, this cloth had 300 years to be basically obscure mm-hmm. at the very beginning of its right existence. It's exactly right. right. And those people, that's w- a long time for it to change hands and Yeah move places. And right.
0: And, and, and the people that held on to it and thought that it was special,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they, everybody around them thought they were quacks, probably. Yeah, nobody cared about <laughs> you know, that. It's like yeah. a bunch of quacks. I don't <laughs> yeah. care about your, I don't I care about your bloody... about Jesus. Yeah. What are you doing carrying around that bloody thing? Get rid of it, yeah.
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about that, too, just um, how w- something that's important to a group has no meaning to another group. Yeah. Um and in this case it maybe led to it um just being tossed aside and not really thought about. Yeah. By the, and then Christianity blew up and uh you know. <laughs>
0: they're like, What do we do with that shroud? Somebody gotta
1: find that thing. <laughs> Do you remember, uh, yeah. like, an ancestor of uh, Mary Magdalene? Yeah. I mean, we could build a big church around this thing. <laughs> Somebody got to find it. Yeah. Um, but going back to the UV light as well, I mean, right, it's, like, light we can't see. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so yeah, it's, all- it's off the visible spectrum. It's on the, you know, the ultraviolet spectrum, right. but it's the part that's non-visible, which is why it accompanies sunlight. Mm-hmm. You know, which is what gives you a sunburn, right? You know, so, yeah, yeah, yep. SPF, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but I mean, it goes. It kind of is a metaphor for, um, you know, believing what you can't see, or oh yeah, uh, believing even. I guess in this case, what you what we can't understand. If it says, uh, what does it say about the. Like no way to recreate the outline, yeah. Even with modern
0: technology, yeah. No, they still don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they still don't have a at least in 2020, according to Dr. Andrew Silverman. So right. it's a few years, but you know, th- th- there's no like when somebody says it's a hoax, no one can say, "Well, this is how they the hoax was done." Mm-hmm. They just they just look at the carbon dating. That happened on the corner of the shroud and said, right. "This is the date." So it has to be a hoax because it was 1300s. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how much surface area is there on
1: a you know, two-sided 14 foot sure cloth? Though, right? right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and th- and and that and that goes back to the first thing that I was saying. Is like it's so the argument always just comes down to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to believe in that. So I'm going to call it a hoax or I want to believe in it so badly that mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's real and it's, you know, a miracle. Right. You know, and, and it just always comes. And, and I, I what I really like about the conversation thus far in the book is that it hasn't been about that. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, let's set aside natural, you know, like it just happened by, you know, a thing turning brown on a dead body. Or by somebody painting it, because we can disprove the painting part, Mm -hmm. you know. Let's set that aside. But also let's set aside this just like random, you know, miracle thing that happened outside of the laws of the universe, you -hmm. know. And and let's look at it another way. And in doing so, it's kind of so let's just, uh, you know, let's just cool the conversation down. (laughs) It's not, Mm -hmm. this doesn't have to be about who's right and who's wrong and which side is right and which side is wrong and what you believe at your core about, you know, religion or not religion. It's not about any of those things. It's about what way can this show us, you know? And that's what's intriguing to me is like, yeah, there's... Because I always say, you know, this universe is far more mysterious than we give it credit for. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, one of the things that I I think that all the time on this show, and I, you know, it's kind of what I... The way that I look at everything, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, there's things we understand and there's things that we can predict and there's things that we... Have a good handle on. And then there's all the stuff that we don't and, we, and mm-hmm. we can't predict and we don't have a good handle on and we don't understand why, you know, and how things work. And this is just another one of those things. Mm-hmm. Because it's unique, because it's so rare, you know? If this happened a lot, people would be like, oh, we need to study this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, every one of these coffins that we look at underground has this poof of stuff on it, you know, right. that we can... Where's this UV radiation coming from? And then we would all study it because it's one thing mm-hmm. that makes it so much easier to just be like, ah, eh, it's just, eh, it's probably some really good hoaxers. You haven't researched it enough yet, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's easy to kind yeah. of set it aside that way or for the, you know, sort of the mis- the uh, religious zealot side to say, oh, yes, this is the, you mm. know, the proof that we're right and you are wrong. And right. That, you know, so. Yeah.
1: I mean, we're, we're, we're at least for 47 episodes and i would assume it will continue um but just having a a posture of curiosity yeah right it's such a i i find it to just be a much more um exciting way to like approach these topics yeah because i mean yeah that it, maybe it'll never really be resolved right mm-hmm. um but I also have not heard of, I mean, I haven't even heard of this until now, <laughs> but I haven't heard, that means I haven't heard of like other cloths as well that are like yeah. being studied. Well, there's a second one actually. Oh, really?
0: Yeah, there is. <laughs> and they associate it with this because the tradition went that the head was wrapped like with extra wrapping. Oh, okay. And they think they have that one too. Yeah. Uh, see if I can find, there's a name for it. What is the name for it? I was talking about it with one of my guitar students this morning. Oh okay. Because he was asking me, "What are you podcasting about tonight?" And he said, "Well, this is what we're talking about." And he's like, "Wasn't there another? Wasn't there another one?" Huh. Um. Yeah. Let me see if I can. You can keep going, but let me see if I can find that.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. I guess I was just thinking um, to avoid that kind of uh, just that dichotomy. I guess just like the one side or the right. other side. Right. Right. Um, and also i mean if there's if there's just two that they know of, if there's one for the head, right yeah, um then it's makes it even more um I don't know, I guess just easy to even if I can't believe it fully or can't wrap my head around all the details or um you know how it got from a a tomb in Jerusalem to Italy, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Through these, you know, these royal family in Italy mm-hmm. who purchased it from whatever the history... Did you, did you look it up? Yeah. Did you look it up a little bit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um The fact that really there's only like, this is re- really the only occasion yeah, that it's showing up is kind of, at the very least, it's special. Yeah. And exciting we we know in the stories that this is what was done and even like historical yeah um books that are telling us what happened after he died Mm -hmm. um so why not why not be the cloth right right i
0: don't know yeah and it's funny (laughs) right like it would be interesting to pull like christians around the world right and be like how many christians think it's a hoax too you know right. like just because you're sort of so, so like oh yeah you know you know the christianity thing that's just you know it's just this nice little like thing that i kind of you know believe it makes me mm-hmm. feel better but you show me something like this and there's there's no place to like plug that in for a lot of people of faith even people of faith right right and you know especially when you start looking at it scientifically like there's some real like there's some real sciencey stuff happening with this shroud, you know, mm-hmm. like the evidence of UV radiation and being able to detect mm-hmm. roughly how much radiation that would have taken to. And he's going to get into it more deeply about how the image was actually cast onto the shroud. Mm-hmm. But I found that thing about the other cloth. Uh, I'll just read a little excerpt here. In Oviedo, Spain, there is another cloth known as the Sudarium. The provenance of this cloth is well documented back to when it was brought from Spain to Jerusalem around the year 400 CE. So there you go, right around the time that Christianity would have been, you know, well-established. Mm-hmm. You know, it was brought, so, they, and they actually have documentation about this one. It was brought to Spain from Jerusalem. The Sudarium of Oviedo is also marked by bloodstains. The interesting thing is that the pattern of the bloodstains matches extremely well with the bloodstains around the face and head of the man on the shroud. Also, There is evidence that the blood group of both stains is AB, an uncommon blood group. Forensic experts have concluded from all of this that there is substantial evidence that the sudarium and the shroud once wrapped the same corpse. It is conceivable that before the man was wrapped in the shroud, a cloth might have been wrapped around his head to soak up some of the blood, and that the face uh, cloth might have then been placed in the tomb separate from the body in the shroud. So, um, yeah, so the, the, a second cloth that would have been used to, essentially like a pre-cloth mm-hmm. used, but it's still special because it's got that blood on it. They, you know, they were very careful with certain amounts of blood were like holy uh, amounts that mm-hmm. had to stay with the body when it was buried. And so they would set that next to it in a very special way and then wrap it in the full shroud. Yeah, that's the theory with that. Yeah, I think I'm going to like this approach because um
1: it is different than just using this to prove mm-hmm. one thing or another. Right. 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 Cuz yeah. in that way then it becomes like then it almost becomes like a weapon. Right. On either side. Yeah, which is like really the opposite of what something like this is supposed to be. (laughs) Supposed
0: to be, I I think it's supposed to be beautiful. Right. Like, look at what, look at what can happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? And that's, he said that. He said he believes that whatever happened with this shroud happened from the humanity of the person. Mm -hmm. You know, that it, you know, it was, I haven't even read if he has a particular set of religious beliefs or not. So I don't even know if he believes that Jesus was fully divine and fully human, like Christians would say, Mm -hmm. right? But what he does believe is that what happened in that shroud happened from the human aspect of the being inside, Mm -hmm. which is, if that's the case, then there's a tremendous possibility for what a human is and can be. And so that's really cool. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's a way showing you know and if if Jesus told his followers I'm the way mm-hmm. then here here's here's a way that I can show you and maybe it's a way that is going to be revealed through a cloth mm-hmm. when a photograph is taken of it you know 120 something years ago and a negative comes out and then people are like whoa what's happening here and right. investigate it
1: more it's kind of cool it's like almost like you could view the photograph picture as like almost like a, a modern prophet right of sorts yeah like speaking for god through this new
0: yeah <laughs> this new medium i just think it's so cool and 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 i think i really like what you said though that i you know when you said you you like this approach cuz it doesn't sound like it's trying to prove anything you know one way or another when it comes to religious belief or or not right and i think that's really important and that's my understanding of it too is i find this to be a genuine mystery. And by mystery, I mean something that our understanding of the world Mm -hmm. at this point in time cannot encapsulate, which you can say miracle, which says we all know this much, and this thing lies outside of it, and it will always be outside of it. Or you can say not yet, which means we just don't understand the world enough yet to Mm -hmm. incorporate this into our understanding of it that's why I think it's fascinating. And if it happens to point to something that I'm connected to in my belief system, so be it and I'll celebrate it and that's Mm -hmm. great. But that's not the interest and that's not why I'm presenting it on the show, right? I'm not here to say like, yes, this is finally gonna prove my point, you know? it's But instead it's going to finally prove my point that there's so much more to explore Mm -hmm. and let's go and keep looking, you know, and see what these things are and when we see a mystery before us rather than either try to debunk it or just say it's wild and crazy maybe there's another way for us to explore so that's why i really like dr andrew silverman's approach yeah
1: exploring it is one way to prove to us humans that we've like maybe especially in modern days, which we've talked about in other episodes, have like closed ourselves off to the Mm -hmm. sort of the mystical, the sort of uh, spiritual, whatever energy that is happening (laughs) around
0: us. Yeah. It It takes one materialist test right, which is a carbon dating test taken from the corner thing, one one of those, mm-hmm. to totally like just, yeah, 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 just, just shove that under the rug, you know? A mm-hmm. bunch, of, bunch of hoaxers came up with that one, you know? Yeah. and But yet, again, on the other side of that, you have the people that wouldn't care what any of the evidence says, you know, mm-hmm. this is a miracle, I'm just going to grab onto it and cling onto it as my last hope of trying to convince you of something, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, that middle approach is beautiful. Right because then you just go for it. And um
1: I mean kind of Jesus like mm-hmm. if we think about some of those um like there's the third way of uh the story where he says go the extra mile. I mm-hmm. forget where it is or. Mm-hmm. Um he's talking to group of people about going the extra mile, which is right, really the
0: extra mile in, in those shoes. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh yeah. you know, the Walter Wink book, The Powers That Be
0: Did you Oh I uh, yes, I do remember that Right. Book. Yeah, Where yeah.
1: like going the extra mile isn't just like, you know, working hard. It's like if you you would be carrying the soldier's stuff for a mile. Right. Um, but if the Roman soldier let you carry it for an extra mile, it would be like their week, like they can't they can't carry their stuff yeah um if they do it for one mile that shows that you're just subservient to them and whatever yeah but then they're supposed to take it back yeah so if you refuse to give it back and you go the extra go the extra mile mm-hmm. then one you're not you're not using violence to sort of stop the oppression you're using a third way a, mm-hmm. a new sort of angle to yeah. um, regain your humanity yeah um so, I mean, it's, and Jesus said that. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a third way to go about things. Yeah. Not be passive, not be violent, be something else. Yeah. And this is a third way of doing something as well. It's not hoax. It's not miracle. Maybe it's Yeah. a third way.
0: And as, uh, as everybody's favorite artist, Bob Duro said, three is a magic number. As in the third way is the magic way, right? I don't know who Bob Duro is, but he wrote that song, Three is a Magic Number. Bob Duro. Yeah, uh, some other people did it, right? The uh, Three is a Magic Number song. De La Soul. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, uh, didn't Blind Melon do Three is a Magic Number? Yeah, Three is a Magic Number.
1: I just know three's company. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> something is hers and hers and his. Three's I wish company, everybody could
0: dude. see you dancing. We need to get a camera. <laughs> Which means we need to sell people pants that say Moss if on I the side. If I shake my head
1: a little, maybe the lyrics will like shake into yeah. my brain.
0: <laughs> you need a burst of conscious light right yeah. now. Because <laughs> it's getting late. Uh... Yeah, three is the magic number by, yeah, uh, originally by Bob Duro, but done by De La Soul and done by uh, Blind Melon, reminding us that hmm. the third way is where the, is where the magic happens. Yeah. Well, because one is the loneliest number.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Two can be as bad as one. <laughs> what? I don't know how that goes I don't out. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything about two. Is it two can be as bad as one? It's the loneliest number since the number one. Yeah. It's something like that.
0: Yeah. I think it all relates back to the Fibonacci sequence, though. <laughs> oh, sure. Because <Yeah. laughs> that's where it really takes off. You know, you got the one and the one and then the two. Of course. Uh, uh, you know. <laughs> but then it's when that two and the one make the three. You're like, now nah, we're getting somewhere. Yep. And then the two and the three make the five and you're off and running. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hey, the same in uh uh the triangulation of family systems right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Happily lilting down Fibonacci Lane. <laughs> uh all right. Uh you got anything else before we wrap this thing up? I think that, that's about it. Yeah. Uh exciting topic. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm looking forward to this just to see where it all goes cuz I I I'm going to be discovering this book along with you and and the audience. I have not read the whole thing. Yeah.
1: So, oh, I did um uh, this was just a cool thing um this is on the history.com the shroud entered the digital age this is like seven facts about it um in april 2020 so um right at the beginning of the pandemic the turin archbishop uh cesare nosiglia yeah and announced- all your
0: italian friends would be proud of you yeah you said that
1: announced that in light of the devastation um that uh, the world would be able to view the shroud for easter oh cool um so on the thursday um so like Monday, thursday 2020 um there was a lot of deaths from covid like I, I do remember italy being hit hard oh yeah i do remember that um yep. So the Archbishop was motivated to provide a live stream of the Shroud, um, which was last publicly displayed in 2015. Um, And thousands of people who requested to view it uh, were able to see it Hmm. during the pandemic. Yeah. So no matter what it was, in that specific particular moment, it was... Mm -hmm. uh, an icon of hope. uh, Yeah. You know, whatever it meant to people. Yeah. And maybe it, maybe it started meaning something new to people because of their context. Right. As well. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that's, there's so much there. It's super cool. So I'll spend a a few more of my episodes on it and uh, we'll go through this book. And this is just one resource on it. Dr. Andrew Silverman's work, um, which we've linked to in the show notes. So please go and uh, check out his website and buy his book wherever uh, you like to buy your books uh, and do your own research and send us an email. Let us know. It's uh, brothers at music of We'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on it? Is it, is it crazy to you? Have you ever heard of it before? What are your experiences of it? Um, and we'd love to hear that. So uh, connect with us on the social medias, share the show with your friends, neighbors, relatives, acquaintances, enemies, whoever, just let people know about this show. Look for uh, – give us suggestions, actually, of what color sweatpants you'd like to wear uh, while you're listening to this show. <laughs> and we'll, we'll see if we can drum some up for you. Uh, and, um, yeah, I guess that's all for tonight. So from the deepest parts of our beings, we thank you for being a part of our universe here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. Have a great week.
1: So that was fun. Oh, Oh, dude, that is gross. (laughs) Yeah, you weren't expecting me to say that, were you?
0: No, when you said the cat's...